Hello and welcome to episode 247 of the Crate and Crowbar. It is the 16th of July, 2018. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Tom Francis. Hello. Alex Wiltshire. Hello. And Tom Senior. Hello. And this is a, a very special week because this week, five years ago, uh, we, well, some of us, some people departed now, uh, gathered in a graveyard for the first time to record the first episode of this podcast. So yeah, this is the fifth birthday of Who was that? the Crate and Crowbar. I believe the first episode was me, Marsh, Graham and Tom F, yeah. but not Tom S. I think your first one was the second one, Tom. Yeah, I think I came in like an episode or two later. I think it was an episode later. I don't think it was. Only so many people could fit into that graveyard in Venice. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was tiny. Was it I Deserve Infinite Dragons? I Deserve Infinite Dragons was the title of that episode. And uh, we didn't receive Infinite Dragons. <laughs> we got <laughs> limited goblins. <laughs> um, so yeah, so uh, and, and to celebrate the, the birthday of the pod, uh, the, 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 those of us who are drinking this evening are drinking a delicious gin, uh, which was sent to us as a birthday present uh, by uh, listener Orbital. Uh, uh, I think I'm pronouncing it right. There's some hyphen and uh, underscore business going on in that name. It's a lo- lovely, lovely bottle. It's a beautiful bottle mm. and even better gin. 44 mm. botanicals? That's a, a 22 botanicals. 22, oh shit, I oversaw <laughs> <laughs> 44 can't be done. Gin industry has been trying for years. But they have been foraged. <laughs> There's kind of an embossed text in the bottle, which we, it looks like it could be law. I think it lists the law. I think there's, I think I see. Oh, we see, it's all the botanicals. I think one of them just says cats. <laughs> just some dead delicious, cats. Delicious yeah, cats. it goes into, uh, uh, I read that as imperious, but it's junipers. That makes sense because it's gin. Um, yeah. yeah, what else is in there? Uh, Communism, communism, <laughs> uh, menthol, Timus, um, Artemis. Uh, I think it's com communis. So it's probably a part of a Latin name for something. I see. Yeah, um, uh, Bucus. That sounds good. I think it's basically. It looks like it's all just names of destiny characters. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It's actually just a like a reserve naming list. Like if you ever run pen and paper campaign, you have a side list just in case a player ever asks what somebody's called. Here you go. It's just the Latin words for plants. What are in gin? Probably. Anyway, thank you very very much for this kind gift and uh, happy birthday, us. I suppose. Happy birthday! Hey, I thought it'd be fun to return to uh, basically the show notes for episode one. To discuss the news, uh, then. So the news five years ago, uh, was that Gunpoint, um, had recouped its development cost in four, 64 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> no comment there from developer Tom Francis. <laughs> no, I, I sort of regret writing that post. I, I planned it a long time ahead because I, the, the budget was $30. So I knew right. no matter how badly this bombs, I'll be able to say it made its cost back really fast. And then it did really, really well. And I still did the post. And so I think the post came off as kind of smug. <laughs> so I kind of regret it now. We, otherwise, in that episode, we discussed Civilization Five. Hmm. The five, bo- really? A whole yeah. new Civilization ago. I think it was out by then. Right. I think, I think it was. Oh, no, it must have been. Yeah, it, it, was, have been. it, was, yeah. it was, it was been eight out. Um, so it was better than what was to come. <laughs> the Bulma Peak. Oh, that's where that. you drink when you're coding. Uh, it's the peak level of alcohol. Oh, um, which, yeah, peak level of coding ability uh, as your alcohol level increases. Uh, Past the Bulma Peak, you start to get too drunk to code. <laughs> Below the Bulma Peak, you're too sober to code. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is uh, riffing on an XKCD yeah. comic about this precise thing. Um, we discussed uh, Peter Molyneux's invention of the dog. 
<laughs> wasn't current then isn't current now because that's how time works uh we discussed mask and we discussed this because graham was present <laughs> that's m-a-s-q yeah the um uh, adventure game there is uh i believe another game from that person i feel like with mask the promise of mask has kind of been delivered on by various dodgy david cage games in the years to come <laughs> yeah uh, mm. It's pretty much just that format, but and with a massive budget put behind it. Obviously, yeah. some not not the best plots <laughs> ever to be put you know onto screen. But I, I quite enjoyed it. This is a not PC game, but I, I quite enjoyed um, Detroit being human, becoming human, whatever it's called. Did you? Yeah, I did. I, I had a really good time with it, uh, even though uh, <laughs> it does repurpose. Uh, huge elements of the civil rights movement in ways that don't show the greatest amount of respect for <laughs> the, the weight of that. Uh, but you know, uh, stuff reappropriates things in dumb ways all the time, but they could still be fun and interesting. And I played it as a pad passing game on the couch, uh, with my girlfriend and had a really good time with it, just making decisions quickly. And I've become like, I feel like I've been too snobby about complex inputs and, and a lot of people criticize David Cage's games for being too simplistic. And they are obviously to an extent just kind of quick time events, but. If, I like the idea of there being a genre where it's so devoted to storytelling and, you know, you can sit there and play it alongside someone and enjoy it as a kind of more interactive TV box set. And mm. for that to be a type of game that sits alongside Immersive Sims and all the other types of game I love. Mm. So I quite enjoyed that. I definitely, I enjoyed, also wasn't a, obviously a, a, a PC game, but, um, oh Lord, the one with the murders and <laughs> the, uh, the LA army. No, no, uh, uh, David Cage. Oh, oh, uh, Fahrenheit. No, after Fahrenheit. Heavy rain. Heavy rain. <laughs> Heavy rain. Yeah, I, I, I thought it committed all kinds of kind of crimes, narrative, <laughs> and kind of <laughs> just all kinds of crimes. <laughs> kind of women objectifying terrible things and all sorts of things. But I did enjoy it. I did enjoy yeah. it, and um, and. I, that, that, but that little bit of interaction definitely pulls you in. It does. Like it's as facile as those movements are and how twitchy they can be. Mm. I felt engaged by them. Like I was pulled into the story. I thought I actually had one actually really creative bit, which was, um, a sequence where you are, you, you, you're looking after your son and you're in a, uh, it's in the evening and the son has to do his homework and you've got to make dinner. Can't remember all the things you need to do, but there's, you have like in real time, you have a number of things you've got to do, um, in order to be a good dad, basically. And, uh, and everything's a faff because, because things are in the real world and you've got to perform as much of this as you can. Uh, you know, hurry the kid along, get food done, get him to bed and things. And, um, I thought that that was a really nice use of what it established already. And it worked in the story because, you know, the, the big theme in the game is being a dad. And, and like that was the one actually, in my opinion, you know, objectively good bit, but, uh, it's a pity that they don't in all build on that. I, is, does, does Detroit have anything like that in it? I think all of um, those games have like a shining scene or two that just where the tension, the pacing of it is so good and, you know, it can really, uh, obviously not when you're like doing the washing up and stuff. Uh, but there's a very, very good scene at the start of Detroit where you're playing as Connor, who's an Android investigator who's been drafted into a unit that doesn't trust him. Like it's a David Cage game. You're going to get pretty broad strokes kind of procedural cop stuff most of the time. Uh, but you investigate the kind of scene of the crime and they've put in like a almost Batman Arkham style detective sequences where you're kind of 
uh, envisioning what might have happened in this scene. And then you go out onto the balcony and they've got a hostage and you have to talk them down. Um, but it's incredibly tense, just being un- having to make decisions under pressure in a kind of social context. Uh, and particularly in a very, like, it's, I'm going to say mundane context. And what I mean by that is that it's just in someone's kitchen or it's just in someone's backyard in a, a, a world that is futuristic, but nonetheless recognisably a contemporary world. Yeah. Uh, and that still uh, holds a huge amount of novelty for me. The idea that, you know, a drama scene can happen in a kitchen in a game. It's still so unusual because games feel like they have to push into just extraordinary new worlds yeah. and they're very good at doing that. But when sometimes when you bring that drama back into a, uh, into someone's bedroom or into a, you know, a suburban house, uh, that that is actually worth celebrating games. It's something I'd like to see more, even though even if the game doesn't treat a lot of those scenes very well. Uh, that studio is actually really good at mundane spaces. Yeah. Like, so they're kitchens do feel like kitchens you know and they kind of you know like in a way that a lot of games like their the proportions are all wrong or you know they're just like it's a raid dungeon sized kitchen <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i deserve infinite kitchens yeah <laughs> there That's what I'm saying. i think you know i wonder about this because like i haven't really enjoyed any david cage games because i think he's not like a, well i think his the games are pretty appalling stories like when it comes down to it like as they wouldn't it's this thing of like most a lot of games have appalling stories, so it's not it's not unique to them. But it's like the closer you get to cinema and the further away you get from games, mm. the the more that quality bar needs to raise. Like I don't know if it's unfair. I feel like sometimes it might be that these you know as soon as games show a little bit of ambition narratively, they get cut down all the faster because the bar they're setting for themselves is higher, yeah. and therefore you know you would forgive it in if it was in a shooter or an RPG or something, but you wouldn't forgive it in a game that is an interactive quick time event. And when games do it well, like Life is Strange, it, it really does come off. Um, but it's almost like it's, um, something about David Cage's games have the air of like, there's a sort of type of filmmaker who's got like bigger ideas than they're really like emotionally sensitive enough to execute. And, um, uh, but I appreciate that. Like I've been in the outline on this sort of regard before, cause I really hated until dawn, which people seem to love. Oh, you didn't either. Me and Marsh played it together on the sofa. Oh, okay. Basically loathed it cause it was so pointless <laughs> and manipulative that it like your choices really didn't matter. And it was just this roller coaster it reminded me of like the um do you ever watch saturday morning kids tv in the 90s when like um you kids would call in to shout at hugo the man who would run left and right when they shouted <laughs> yeah. and if they got all the way to the end of the track yeah. uh hugo didn't get hit by a mine car then you'd win a prize just so twitch plays hugo <laughs> pretty much well that was you know it was like live and kicking plays you know a yeah. proto twitch basically um that's what these games remind me of sometimes where it's just like it, the illusion of participation in, in a bad cartoon. <laughs> yeah. The illusion part is really interesting because uh, I'm kind of happy to be fooled sometimes. And, and what uh, Detroit does very well is that uh, it builds on what Telltale games have done more and more recently, where when you get to the end of a scene, it shows you the entire web of potential outcomes for that mm. scene from moment to moment in a way that is definitely, you know, in terms of real choices that are actually being made within that web, it obscures that from you. You don't really know whether the hidden scenes here would be identical or, you know, trivially different to the one. It just means that there's another node. <laughs> yeah, right. You don't know what's going to But the it's node. still quite effective. And you see the percentages yeah. that everyone's chosen and gone down through these paths and it gives you this sense that, oh, but that's a this cheat. is my, I know, it's but, cheat. but it doesn't matter, Alex. Like, the, 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 this is, you know, you go into stuff like Sid Meier talking about falsifying st- the way that games show you statistics in order yeah. to make you feel better. Like, it's all about, isn't it about the outcome rather than the actual truth of the system sometimes? especially in a narrative mm. game where you're it's trying to trick you into you know being that character or taking some ownership of that character specifically but that that is the, that, that is the terrible thing with like most interactive dramas where most of the time you're thinking 
did did that was that part of it? Like, did, mm. did I make some make a choice there that had an effect on things? Like, in what like in what way is this responding to what I'm doing? Like, mm. you're constantly like outside of the actual story, like in so much of this stuff. I think I think it can be irritating because it sort of makes you complicit in what happens in a way that a film doesn't. But without being fair about that at all. No. Yeah. It's so, it's like if you're watching a, a film or reading a book, then you know that you are not responsible for the act. You know what I mean? This is the, the, the power dynamic there is really, really clear. Whereas when a, when a, a sort of, particularly when it comes down to like a moral dilemma or something in a, one of these games, uh, like I think about this in terms of who survives and who doesn't in Until Dawn, which is really down to an arbitrary series of things that you I, I honestly, I, I enjoyed all that because it's like it had the frisson of just watching the horror film yeah. where you, it's arbitrary and that's like part of the fun. See, yeah. like uh, for me, that's exactly why it breaks it because in the horror movie, you understand the tropes, but you're kind of, you're not responsible for the execution yeah. of them. So you can be surprised <laughs> by it. As soon as you introduce the slightest kind of like, quotient of agency or the the impression of agency the notion that the choices i make might have any effect which they need to, you need to feel it a little bit it can't be totally like i'm just putting but putting bushes and I'll, I'll see what happens afterwards like um as soon as it it's clear that it, it doesn't really matter it's like well you've given me some control over which tropes i want to see kind of executed but you're doing them anyway and therefore this has become a fight rather than yeah. something i've just bought into like you've given me the ability to pretend to fight the narrative which a film doesn't. You don't even worry about it. Yeah. And therefore the whole thing becomes frustrating rather than fun for me. Uh, like that, the, the, that element of the, so can I do a spoiler for the end of heavy rain, which is the, I'm this sure is sure we can. This, this is the thing that made me really angry with that game <laughs> where, uh, you, you play one of, I think you play three different characters, maybe four or something, but I think it's three, uh, throughout the game. One of them is this ex cop, or maybe he's still a cop. But I th- no, I think he's an ex cop or like a, a, a detective now, like a, a private detective. Uh, he wears a coat. He's kind of in his middle age, late middle age. Uh, and, uh, he's helping your characters and you're playing as mm. him and you investigate various crime scenes relating to this serial killer. Oh no, this person who has, who has abducted a child. Um, and you're this character, like you're meant to be making decisions as him. Like that is, you know, that is fundamentally what you're meant to be doing in these games. You are role playing. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm. At the end of the game, you are, it is revealed that he is the killer, which means that all the times you've played him, <laughs> you haven't known something which is utterly like vital to his character yeah. and would be informing every single one of the decisions that you've been faced with. It's like, you can't you lit you cannot do that you cannot yeah, make, yeah. you cannot you do that that's a crime like the thought when when you first play it and he's like they don't know <laughs> yeah yes no that see, see what i mean it's like at that point the whole thing becomes pantomime yeah. right you might as well you are yelling he's behind you at somebody who is you know fully aware right yeah 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 i think if if there was someone else directing those games and with the same kind of technical teams and art teams and people (laughs) executing every other every other element uh you might end up with some some maybe classics in that type of in that genre and like so i mean the the first scene of fahrenheit is extraordinary and fahrenheit is one of the fucking stupidest games i've ever played like Mm. and in a in a in video games (laughs) yeah where all the stupidest plots live Uh, and this one like easily outstrips almost everything else I've, I've seen but the, the first uh, scene is about someone you wake, someone who wakes up with amnesia in a toilet and you know there's a dead body there and you, you're obviously implicated in their murder and you, so you panicked 
you cover them up. And then the scene switches over to you as the cop who has to then investigate that scene. And it manages to balance the drama of those two scenes while hiding enough from you, the player, to make both of them work. And the game is brilliant for about 20 minutes before it goes completely <laughs> off the rails. And, and <laughs> They put like, all of their effort into it. <laughs> oh, I'm exhausted. Yeah, that was so it. hard. Uh, and, and then, you know, um, people hallucinating insects, angels flying around after you in churches. I mean, it all comes after that point. And, and Fahrenheit, uh, or Indigo Prophecy, I think it's called in America, uh, is, is worth playing for a laugh, especially as a kind of couch pass padding game. That uh, was the game that made me discover a dark secret about PC gaming in general, which is um, it had button mashing events, like as well as sort of quick time events. There was ones where you just had to hit the same key as, as hard, as rapidly as possible. And I would just fail these events every time. And I'm like, I'm not even just like leaving my hands in the normal position. I'm sort of like putting my hands so I can hit the same key with both fingers, like alternatingly, <laughs> and just like focusing my entire body on doing this. And I cannot pass it at all. And I found out uh, later that if you press keys on um, certain PC keyboards too fast, uh, it just registers as one press. <laughs> and so uh, past a certain threshold, pressing it faster makes you fail those events instead of making you better at them. So you have to press it slower to pass those. <laughs> oh, my God. That's a, that's a ruse Dave, worthy of David Cage himself. Yep. <laughs> I think I think for me it's like, these stories can really work. And I think Life Strange is an example of a game that works really well. And the first season of The Walking Dead use a lot of these same ideas, do it really well. But for me, it's like you have to, they have to have build a story and have a kind of ambition in terms of what the story is going to be about that kind of matches what they're technically capable of. And I think Life is Strange does this. Um, the problem I have with, I think, every David Cage game now is that, like, it's it's almost like it's 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 Peter Molyneux inventing the dog. Maybe this is why I came up in that original context. It's this idea that like we've we've got some of the technology, therefore I can create the greatest piece of art that's ever been because that's the only explanation for what. But Fahrenheit. that's the bad thing. Like they, I don't think it's technology. Like like they've all looked very good for their time, and now like they're the faces in uh, uh, Detroit. Detroit are good, yeah, aren't extraordinary. they? Like, slightly, it's yeah. it's like all of my problems with them are structural and kind of mm. tone and script and kind of narrative design decisions and and that's what, that's what i'm saying like it's the the type of story they want to tell with it is like beyond the capacity to execute on a level beyond tech i guess that's maybe explained mm. that badly like mm. it's like just because you have the tech doesn't mean you also have the ability to transfer that into like meaningful cinematic or literary storytelling yeah whereas setting your stall in a very specific place um and you know figuring out that first and then building technology seems like the better way around like it's you know that's what I, you know that's why i don't know 80 days is going to tell 15 more compelling stories than are in any of these games yeah um true. despite because technology's got really ultimately got nothing to do with it um yeah yeah poop do not like the robot game but <laughs> i appreciate that yeah but i guess couch kind of co-op is the perfect that definitely helps for it yeah it that, helps yeah. a lot because it, it diffuses a lot of the the stupidity of what's happening uh, or actually because part of the fun and, I, and mm. we did finish the game with the sense that oh this is again you're sort of like controlling three characters in different strands and this was oh this was our marcus and this was our connor and we did have that sense the game had tricked us into feeling that mm. we had some ownership of those characters which is is more than any other david cage game has done frankly because they tend to go off the rails so quickly uh yeah the, the problem with detroit is that it kind of wades into issues and, and things that it just like domestic abuse the where it, it they just doesn't show the requisite sensitivity or understanding of the subject matter to actually say anything interesting and ends up coming off as exploitative rather than um, and it's difficult here because like 
a lot of people say we want games to tackle more serious subject matters and to actually start telling stories about the real world. But um, a lot of the time we get stories that are bad about the real world (laughs) and it it ends up reflecting badly on the medium. I mean, I kind of, I mean, at the same time, I think if if some blockbuster Hollywood film waded into it, it would do no better or worse job tonally, I think. Yeah. But they're just a bit wiser. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Plus films still are bad at this all the time. It's just because there's different sensitivity in games because they're trying, it's something that they're trying to do that they're not very good at or historically games haven't been terribly good at telling mm. literary stories so mm. when people try and wade into yeah that. and sometimes agency can introduce problems that are unique to games when it comes to handling sensitive stuff right? mm. like if you let you know yeah it's you know what it depends what you let the player do but yeah yeah or it means that you have to curtail the player's agency because the subject matter is important yeah. in a much bigger way therefore at this point you can't etc hmm. yeah so that was mask um i'm trying to think if anything else stands out from from that episode one we talked about uh, deus ex human revolution uh dota 2 but we probably said enough words on those two things (laughs) to to last those those are two of the big d's so to speak uh star wars galaxies came up god knows how uh the cat and the coup which is interesting cat and the coup that's a free game on steam where you play as the cat of you're playing with somebody's cat and you learn about them and their lives and I think they're sort of possibly it's, yeah. um, it's yeah, like a political a, history thing a yeah. I think it's Iran hmm. and also completely opposite end of the spectrum uh, I Cycle which is a flash oh. game where you're a little oh. naked man on a bike yeah. and I'm not and the I, I'm getting this from show notes for episode one just to see what we remember yeah um, did you not believe that game existed uh, no I did uh, because <laughs> I <laughs> The creator of it, um, I just met at Develop for the first time since I met him at Develop five years ago oh, <laughs> when okay. I saw that game and, um, and talked about it, I guess. Wow. Nice symmetry. Yeah. Hmm. Ice. To meet you. <laughs> to meet you to ice? Again. <laughs> oh, no. It's too warm in here already. <laughs> um, we still what we've been playing in this the year 2018, however, I think, before we, mm-hmm. we lose ourselves entirely in trying to remember 2013. Uh, a, a, a dead gambit. Um, Tom, what are you yeah. up to? I finished Moon Crash, mm. um, which I pray Moon Crash this is, the, the DLC that turns it into a sort of roguelike. How um, many hours? 25. Oh, that's shorter than I really thought. Shorter. Oh, I mean, it's long. Don't get me wrong, but it's... Yeah, it's pretty um, substantial for um, a chunk of a hub, basically. A hub with sort of four attached areas, um, which is a, kind of a structure that Prey, Prey's main campaign has a bunch of those, right? There's sort of several um, hubs with different areas attached to it. And um, this ends up being not so much like a roguelike in its... in the way like roguelikes are designed to play forever you know even after you complete it you still will go back and play again and again and in case of spelunky there's all these you know um arcane secrets to discover but even once you discover all those you still go and play it again to you know see what you get on the next run this doesn't have that feel to it it's got a list of about i think it's 50 different things to do and after you've done them it's you've just completed the game basically um and it very much doesn't feel like there's any reason to go back to it um but what it is, I think, is a very uh, efficient way to use that amount of space. I've got to believe this took them about as long as making one of those hubs for prey, plus some time for the structure stuff and, and mm. testing things. Um, 
but like my run through of Prey itself was about 35 hours, which was long uh, for a game like that. But I bet it took them an insane amount of work to make that mm. much content for me to go through. Like I was just spending all that time consuming new stuff for that entire 35 hours. And I bet it took them a lot less than, you know, 80% of that development time to make Moon Crash, which lasted me 25 hours. Um, so it's, it, there's five characters and, um, we talked about the structure before, but it has to be explained every time we talk about Moon Crash because there's no easy reference point for it. Um, each, uh, each time you play, you're starting a simulation run and each character you play as, you'll either die or you'll manage to escape the moon base. And either way, you can then play as any of the other characters. Um, and once all the characters have either escaped or died, then you've got to reset the simulation. But also simulation is getting harder all the time. Um, there's just a sort of uh, time-based difficulty scale that keeps going up. If that hits the maximum, it just ends your simulation forcibly, which is kind of annoying. Um, and also it might just get so hard that it, it makes more sense to reset the whole simulation rather than um, uh, rather than carry on. And you've got many, many different objectives. And that's one of the things that works about it is that there's just loads to think about. And on each run, you'll get something done. Um, you're constantly getting loads of points for everything you do and you can spend those points on upgrades. Um, every character has a story objective. Every character has a story objective, um, which is what you have to do to unlock their story mission. <laughs> and so it's like for this one, you've got to um, escape through the portal. Um, and then that'll unlock this character's story objective. So after you've escaped through the portal on your next run, they now have a memory marker somewhere that when you go to that, it will flash back to something in their past and then you'll have a special objective based on that. And all five characters have a different one. Um, and then there's the overall goal of like trying to get all five to escape in the same run. So none of them die in one run of the simulation, um, which uh, it all feels very challenging at first. And then um, there's these... Uh, the escalating difficulty basically makes each run kind of go to shit. Like it, you, you're trying to get things done and then by your third character, you know, you're at difficulty four or five and all the enemies are super tough and killing you in one hit. Um, but then there's these delay objects. <laughs> we mentioned them last time. They're just like, the description is literally, this is an abstract object representing the concept of delaying the difficulty timer a bit. <laughs> it's called like, it's like delay dot time yeah. in yeah. brackets or something, isn't it? Um, and you can fabricate those uh, within the sim- within the run. You know, there's, there's recyclers and fabricators as there is in Prey and you can just make those out of a certain amount of materials. And I was actually um, getting pretty annoyed with the, like I had a run that just ended because I hit the hard time limit. I wasn't dying to the enemies. It just when you hit difficulty five, it just ends the game for you. It's, oh, really? Uh, There's yeah. a hard time limit? Yeah. Huh. Which just kind of annoyed me. I had a load of neuromods in my inventory, which is like the level up points. And those, if you spend them, are permanent. They upgrade the characters forever. So they're, they're great. Um, and I'm very wary of losing them. If, I'm, if a character might die, I put them in the stash so that the other characters can get at them. And I had no idea the game could just end. And it just ended with like eight of those unspent. So I just lost those forever. Um, that sucked. Um but yeah, you can make the delay things. The delay things, uh, if you have enough of them, you can just keep on difficulty one forever. And difficulty one is kind of trivial. And um, only when it goes up a difficulty do enemies respawn. So even when you like lose a character or they um, escape, when you play as a new character, if the difficulty hasn't ticked up to the next level, all the places you cleared out are still cleared out. And so I just did a run with the engineer who has an up... They can upgrade their inventory. They can upgrade their recycling efficiency. And I just went around hoovering up all the stuff, <laughs> just picking up all the junk. 
then went to a recycler, turned it all into mush, <laughs> then uh, used the mush to fabricate. I ended up with 18 of those delay time things. Nice. Man. <laughs> and then uh, used them all. I was using them as I was making them, you know, I was kind of hoovering up as I went around, completed the engineer's story objective, or sorry, story mission, which had unlocked by that point, um, on her run. And then with everyone else, um, they were able to just follow in her footsteps. She was able to pass on all the spare delay time things to them. Um, they actually manufactured some of their own on the way because by then I knew exactly what to harvest to make them. And the whole thing was just trivially easy. And I got all five of them out, no problem. <laughs> With I think I still had like 15 of them spare at the end. <laughs> and, so uh, I think they, they <clears throat> there was a patch last week, I think, which increased the yeah, price. Yeah, it makes them cost. a bit um, bit more expensive to fabricate, but it still doesn't stop you doing that. And uh, I just think that's a bad difficulty system because it was harsh to me as a newcomer. I felt intimidated by the game. and like, oh God, mm. I just can't get anywhere in this because I'm being beaten up by this time and pressure constantly i'm not allowed to like snoop around and take my time like i do in immersive sim i have to fight this horrible thing but it also doesn't serve the purpose of making it challenging for experienced players because yeah, once you learn like, the trick you just exploit it and now it doesn't you have to do it's it. work as well i think you know that almost just comes down to those items being craftable like if they yeah. weren't craftable you could scale the timing differently yeah i kind of i still wish it didn't um outright stop the simulation at the end of it like if mm. i'm if i'm surviving okay at difficulty five then just let me like then yeah that's kind of interesting in itself yeah um but yeah it's it's full of so many interesting things like the plot stuff is actually really good and mm. i especially love just having five completely different characters with their own personalities their own histories uh they have their own skill trees so they're mostly things that you could like the main character in prey could have all of these things but in moon crash each character only has a small subset of those so um the engineer is the only one who can ever repair things and the only one who can ever expand her inventory space. Um, Does that make her the best one to start a run with? Yeah. If you want to craft that, if you don't do that crafting thing, basically. Um, yeah, that's why I did it that way around. But then there's other objectives that, um, where you want. Well, after I did that run, I thought that was like, I'm glad I got all five characters out. I'm glad that's checked off. Um, but I, that was boring. I don't want to do it again. <laughs> uh, so, and I just, I, I was doing well enough by that point. All I left to do was the story objective. So I just, for everyone else, I would just start a run, play as them, do their story objective. And then at the end of it, I was planning to just reset the whole simulation and then play as someone else. As it happened, one of them completely fucks that up because it forces the difficulty counter to five right. <laughs> just as part of the story thing. Mm. And so the rest of your run is just scotched. Like you can't really do anything um, unless you've prepared for that. Um, it's also really bugged. Um, it just completely broke my game twice. Um this is the volunteer story mission. Mm. Um, and it's a really nice idea, but it, it, uh, had a sort of gameplay scripting problem that forced me into a situation where I, I just, uh, was, it was a forced failure. Uh, and then when I played as the next character, I just was falling out of the map and then <laughs> died immediately. And then on the post, uh, death screen, it just said, no reason given for death. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, and then when I finally had restart the whole run, did it all again. And the volunteers story mission is, like I said, it's a nice idea, but there's no, it's just an idea. And then you just walk from point A to point B and it just ends. Um, there's nothing to it. And the directors is also like that. You just kind of, you just have to pick up some objects and put them in some slots and then it's over. Um, whereas some of the others are really involved mm. and really interesting. There's a really cool interplay going on between the security officer and the operative. Um, mm. Yes, the, the janitor. That sounds like, yeah, <laughs> that sounds about right. Um, there's uh, both their 
their story objectives relate to each other. And, um, uh, yeah, there's lots of, uh, interesting kind of secrets to discover there. And I found myself in a really, the end of the security officer's objective, um, he has a kind of moral choice to make and mm. it played out very differently to me than it would have in Prey itself. Because in a long immersive sim where you're just one character, there's like everything has, everything you do has to be the way you're going to do it. It has to be like mm. how I would do it or what I think is the right way to do it. And in this way, you're playing five different characters in shorter runs and each run is kind of disposable. When I was asked to make this decision of like whether to kill someone or let them go, um, I was thinking initially thought in my kind of normal, um, game playing mode, like what would I do? And I think, well, I'd probably let them go. Uh, but then I thought, uh, but I'm playing the security officer. Really, this is his whole job <laughs> is to, is to stop this person. And, uh, I just don't think he would. I think he'd yeah, just kill them. <laughs> and, uh, so I killed them because I thought that's what my character would do, which is something I don't normally do in like, you know, if it's going to be a 35 hour game and this is hour three, <laughs> making a decision like that, that early on is kind of too scary. It's like, Oh God, what are the consequences? Am I going to be punished for this? Or Yeah. I think it's, it's, a, it's an interesting one. Like it's a bit weird that even though the characters do sort of like show up for each other and through story missions, also the fact that you unlock the security officer by finding the security officer's body, mm. which is kind of there to teach you to use the security terminals to find people, which you have to do in a few different contexts because people can be moved to different parts of the station on different regenerations of the simulation. Um, it was weird to me that like having found his body, I could then immediately play as him and go to the place where I found the body. If that makes sense, <laughs> like some of the characters feel like they shouldn't be available until after like a, a refresh of the simulation where the circumstances have changed a bit. And to the extent that they interact with each other in the story missions, it might make more sense if those actually had, because some of those decisions would be interesting if you had to live with their consequences in other people's runs. Yeah. If that makes sense rather than it being a, a very abstract thing. Yeah. It is really weird that the story missions, um, it's impressive they managed to make them work at all because the concept doesn't really make sense. Which is, <laughs> you get to this memory marker, you have a flashback to kind of where you were and what you were doing when it all went to shit. And then you just carry on playing from there. But it's also the same persistent world you're in that has the effects of your previous runs yeah. and stuff like that. And so it's this weird mishmash of, is it a memory or is it happening yeah, now? Yeah, it's like, I'm back on the day job, but here's the moon shark. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um and it almost feels like those should have been siloed off into their own little thing. Like you do the mission, you do the story objective mm. in, in the normal simulation and then that unlocks this mission that you just click a button to play elsewhere and it just happens. Yeah. Like it's its own custom version of the simulation that tells you what this person really happened. But that, that process of like figuring out the past, it also almost had the feel of like something like Lost or, um, like a good TV show concept where a moment brings this unlikely cast together and then through flashbacks you pick apart like mm. who they all were and what they're all doing at the, on this fateful day you know mm. um this day when it all went to shit on the on the moon base all of these five people were doing something different and had their own like problems and, and issues going on figuring that was really cool um yeah it's a really weird mixed thing <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of glitches and bugs and um confusing objectives and um strange decisions with the the timer and stuff i found that yeah as time went on it's you sort of hit like it's such a really it's such a good high concept and it's such a good structure and it, it has lots of things it's lots of things that are good about it but you find i find myself noticing i think because of the time pressure it's like i don't think either you or i tom play immersive sims like a speedrunner does and i think something about the time pressure forces you to learn how to play these games like a speedrunner might not fully like glitching through walls to appear in different places but like not really like sinking into the atmosphere of it necessarily. Like 
when you're in the outside main outside area of the moon you have the moon shark which will come and get you if you step on the ground so the floor is moon shark is kind of the sort of theme and you got a jetpack from rock to rock as you go and then if the moon shark is like too close to one of the gates that detects typhon then the door won't open and but it, and you know, but this can lead to some sort of weird moments of like sort of like chain hopping up a ledge to make sure you're not touching the ground until the moon shark goes away so that you can sort of like just get through the gate and things rather than, yeah. rather than invest the time in finding a typhon lure to pull it away to a different place or anything like that. It's not really worth it. You might as well just sort of hop about or yeah, and try not, and get up the geometry. It's not clear what that range is either. Like it's, yeah. it's a very vague thing. So I, I wouldn't be confident I could throw a typhon lure far enough that when the typhon was there, yeah. it wouldn't trigger the thing. Um, also, if you put enough Typhon mods into yourself, then you block those gates. <laughs> and I, at first I was really like, oh my god, I've just broken the game. Like, I can't yeah, yeah. get anywhere now. Um, you I, can't unmod yourself either. No. Yeah, it's, it's completely permanent. Um, so then I bitched about it on Twitter, which I thought might help, and it did. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I found out you can take those barriers down with the MP grenades or even just the disruptor gun. Um, mm. shoot oh, of course, oh, it does. of course you can. Yeah, it's <laughs> always the thing. Like, oh I think the, this is the, the interesting prey arc for me. Is like you just said that, and I just realized all these janky things I've been doing weren't necessary. Uh, and it's like, I think I, I'm I, I'm, I'm at fault here. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, <laughs> no, it's interesting that that didn't occur to any of us. Like, we all knew the well, disruptor gun disables electronic things. We all knew it was electronic, but there's something about it that doesn't feel it like feels it feels like a gameplay thing. It feels like a game yeah. I think that is very... I think it's also it's the fact that the janky thing also works. It's mm. like you've given me a slower, stupider solution that involves hopping yeah. up and down on a rock until the moonshot goes away. <laughs> um, therefore, I haven't in I haven't gone into my inventory to figure it out with what I've got. Mm. right and that's not entirely the game's fault because you're right like i should maybe be more creative as a player but it's the fact that like because of the simulation it is deep enough to allow weird shit to work sometimes or to just for just you know running through environments to work sometimes but it's because some of the things are so rigid like when you're like when one of the story missions for instance like you have to go and you know you have to use sort of very specific systems in order to to succeed at them you Mm. have to go to the security thing to find out where the body you know and i i i don't know you often sort of feel like you don't know where the division is between what you can and can't do and where the game is defining that Mm. there's actually a and transcribe that mentions this but it's the very last transcribe i found in the game i think it might not even be like one you find lying around but part of a story mission um and uh it's somebody talking about like uh experiments to to raise phantoms and somebody says oh what if they got loose and it says no it's fine we've got containment with the um uh, with all those gates and she says wouldn't a voltaic phantom just take those out and says oh yeah we can't let one of those get out it'd be a disaster (laughs) (laughs) man it is good though it's just i think it's one of the things where like though it's not the shine wears off entirely but like I, i found that like after my first failed simulation my second one was like magic like, I found so many of the time things. I couldn't even make them hmm. at this point in the first one that, like, I did two of the story missions and unlocked all the characters with hmm. the volunteer. With, and, like, and that was having just set up everything with the volunteer. Like, set up all of the escape routes. Like, you know, did all of the things, basically. Then got myself out using the hardest escape route so that everybody else... And then reset the timer back to zero with... Because I had so many of the hourglass things hmm. that then I could sort of, like, give everybody else a way out. Yeah, that's kind of how it worked with my uh, engineer. Um 
she just cleared the way for everyone and because the difficulty hadn't ticked up nothing had respawned so everyone was able to just waltz to the like, yeah i'm going to the skateboard i'm going to the shuttle i'm going to here i'm getting Yay! the big gun bye <laughs> mm. oh everyone except the director i guess <laughs> right yeah whose method is less pleasant <laughs> It's a good bit of, yeah, with that in mind, it is still good kind of grim horror uh, sci-fi. Yeah. There's a lot of good horrible moon shit. Yeah, I'm really glad they made it. working title. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really glad they made it because it's a genuine, like, experiment in structure and form and stuff. You know, something that no one's done before that I've seen. And um, it'd be very interesting to see an immersive sim that was like this. Obviously, you know, there are some problems with the structure, but... um, I'd like to see almost like an episodic immersive mm. sim because this short, the shorter run and having multiple characters gave me so much more freedom to kind of just be who that character felt like they should be. And when I'm making decisions about neuromods, I'm not committing for the next 35 hours. I'm just saying like, oh, I think this character probably wants to be stealthy. So let's pump mm. the mods into stealth. I would. What if there was like, yeah, like 30 different characters in the final game? Like, <laughs> you know, why not? Like- yeah. If it was just like, if Moon Crash was over and then you go on to like, Moon Crash Episode Two, and it's you know Mars new, Crash or yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's a new cast of characters and a um, bunch of other stuff. I wonder what would that be like if like a if a full game was like three of those or something. Mm. Yeah, I think maybe the starting again would get. I don't know if this is a good length for something. If you know what I mean, like it's sort of fun mm. to kind of pick this apart and, and do it once. But if you sort of finished an environment fully and then yeah. had to do it a new one, you might back to the you know being taught led through the first kind of establishing rule set stuff mm. yeah. if they did if they did one on Mars it could just be Doom Crash <laughs> <laughs> good <I've>... <laughs> <laughs> yep uh, Alex what have you been up to I've been playing uh, something very different uh, called Yoku's Island Express hmm have you come across that no it's a uh it's a genre mashup um by uh a swedish studio uh called villa gorilla um and it mashes together the pinball game with the platformer kind of adventure game <laughs> which kind of you know if you imagine a, a an open a platforming world where you know you can freely roam from one side of the enormous map to the other uh except for you're a dung beetle um, pushing a ball <laughs> and like it has lots of pinball-y things so like little flippers and things that will skip you up um, mm. to upper levels and uh, and sp- sort of interspersed within the, the levels are um, actual pinball tables or at least mm. effectively pinball tables <clears throat> um, which act as like I suppose you call them dungeons, really. Like the way that the, the adventure game aspect of it works, like you're, there's like a town and there's all sorts of things going on and you're going through a story. Uh, you are a, a delivery dung beetle for some reason uh, and you're delivering letters and you uh, have to uh, unlock areas so you can get to them and deliver your stuff and, and that kind of thing. So you have to um, uh, often enter into one of these pinball tables and sort of go through them and they're quite dynamic like in a way that a normal pinball table is very uh kind of uh, rectangular upwards squared off thing 
these pinnacle tables are organic and they kind of wander off in mm. different directions. So they, they're always surprising to play. You don't know the extent of them when you start and you start and then you notice there's another flipper further up. Uh, so right. you gotta go, Oh, now we're going over there. And then it's sort of, it's sort of really kind of unfurls itself really nicely. Can you fall all the way back to the bottom? No, well, it's cleverly done so that like, so basically sort of, I, I'm actually writing about it for my mechanic. Um, uh, column for Rob Paper Shotgun, but, um, like their, their first kind of run version of the game was what you'd expect it to be, which would be, let's make an open world where everything you do is just this pinball. So like you're, but of course that does invite the problem of like when, what happens when you fall all the way back down again? <laughs> fall back at the start of a 20 hour story campaign. <laughs> so actually it feels a lot more like, I mean, you get to walk left and right at any time. Obviously, when you're on a pinball table, you're just never going to do that because you're f- rolling much, much faster than you'd ever walk. But, um, uh, y- y- sort of the pinballs tables are organized in such a way that the loops that you go on are quite tight. And there's almost, there's very little penalty for failing. So when you go, when you lose a ball, um, there are these kind of like, um, thorns there and they take away some of the thing is collecting fruit which is like this currency that you're collecting um it just takes a bit of that so basically there's very little penalty other than you just got to maneuver the ball back up to where you were but mm. anything you've unlocked on the way is gone but it's it, there are loads of little mechanics like to give you those little pinball-y sort of flashes of oh i do this and then i do that and then that unlocks that thing and then that happens there are lots of little things like that so uh there is a I kind of, there are these, these kind of, I think they fly things or like these sort of blocking, uh, things. And if you go near one and then you press a button, then you soak it up and then it becomes explosive and you can blow your way through walls. And that provides those kind of, you know, multi, uh, multi direction, multi kind of action sort of these sequences you have to do on in regular pinball tables. But like, it's surprisingly what works surprisingly well, like bringing together such a sort of a genre which is entirely uh abstract, like the pinball mm. sort of logic is just it's a weird form of maths and kind of you know like you know go up this lane and then you go to that lane and you hit these buttons and you know but it does make translates that into get like game logic like mm. logic in terms of kind of not in terms of so much narrative, but in set terms of a setting that you can understand, which is consistent across different tables and things. Mm. It's really nice. And it's, it's all on this beautiful kind of tropical island and it's got nice kind of fun music and it's just really relaxing and nice. It's mm. just, uh, yeah. How does, nice. how does it hold up against, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog's many forays into being a pinball? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's quite a lot better okay. than them. <laughs> Fair enough, but it's it's the control thing. You you feel much more in control. Mm. Like the Sonic thing was always kind of squirting on the edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going really fast, and we we're really quite frustrated at the same time. <laughs> uh, this one is uh, like you, you know, you don't. It, it's more puzzly, more involving, more mm. kind of you know. It's and it's it's just delightful. Really, it took them five years to make it. Wow. Jesus. Yeah. Which I think is kind of one of those. We started of, when the crate and crowbar started. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like a nice, neat thing. Yeah, and uh, it's by people who worked on Riddick. Wow, <laughs> yeah. really? X Star Breeze. Wow. So one of the strange. one of the lead director designers on The Darkness and 
Butcher Bay yeah. and the oh art God, director this goes was like horrendously on. violent. Yeah. Maybe just a, this is five year holiday. It's from so just good. Shanking people in prison. <laughs> <laughs> is the does the the beetle just look like does it have Vin Diesel's face? <laughs> I like to think so. Because yeah. <laughs> I like to think that he'd like a break from shanking people in the dark as well. I want to go on holiday pushing be a, a dumbbell. Be a fun beetle. <laughs> Can Finball. you unlock uh, a multi beetle mode if uh, you hit the right power ups in the right order? Oh mate, yeah. <laughs> well, it should be Vin Diesel's Island Express. <laughs> and then weirdly, so like the, the game in between that, so they, they also did a game that's on kind of most of the Nintendo platforms called Colors, which is not a game. It's a it's a coloring like a, an art sort of app program thing. Mm. So you know, from from shanking <laughs> to art to dung beetle pinball, lovely. Oh, that's okay. Yoku's Island Express. Yoku's Island Express, and it's got a really the 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 logo looks like Yoshi's Island writing, so it just instantly puts me in the mm. right mood. Mm, that's a good, mm, that's, that's a good zone to yeah. put yourself in. It's yeah. a good through line in video games of like tropical island set novelty platformers. Yeah, and it's the best place to be. It's mm. where you want to go. Better than Butcher Bay <laughs> <laughs> and the Moon. <laughs> Tom, where have you been? Oh, <laughs> sorry. That was an amazing timing. Um, uh, I've I've been playing. Um, let's get this right. I always play the games with the most complicated names at the moment. Uh, this is Warhammer Forty Thousand Colon Gladius Hyphen Relics of War <laughs> Colon Gladius. <laughs> and this is that sounds uh, awful. <laughs> uh, this is a four X strategy game set in the Warhammer Forty Thousand universe on the planet Gladius. And it is, uh, you've got four playable factions. You've got base building. You've got hexes. Tasty, delicious hexes. So we've gone back to Civilization Five. Civilization mm. Five. Or it feels closer to Endless Legend, particularly huh. with the kind mm. of UI, uh, it's adopted. It's very beautiful, clear UI. Um, a lot of it is quite slick and, and easy to use. It's kind of, you sort of glide through it and it feels pleasant enough to click and turn to watch the things move around. Um, but it's a 4X game that is purely based around combat. And that is an experiment. That's only that's one, one of the X. X. <laughs> <laughs> that, In the grim darkness of the far future, there is only, only one, one X. X. <laughs> only one X matters. <laughs> In fact, it's like, you have to explore before you exterminate. So that's two Xs. You, yeah. have, to, you have to find the enemy and before expand you... is one of them, right? Yeah, so, I, I guess it's exploit. Like killing people. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of do all of them but it feels like a few extras are missing that is like you know that is quite insightful that is how the game kind of feels because it's so combat focused and it makes it made me realise how much you kind of need diplomacy and uh, ridiculously overcomplicated mm. research webs oh so it means that when, when you've got a neighbouring kind of um, uh, sort of race or whatever you know they're going to attack you there was no kind of there's no, of yeah, there's no question of what's, what's going to happen and it also makes it all about hex combat and I think that there have been good hex combat games and they've been pretty dedicated war games uh, and it, it reminded me a little bit of Rights of War which was an old 40k uh, quite hardcore um, hex based but it was, it was about missions you didn't have a base you just had to complete missions in certain scenarios mm. uh, but it was a very complicated combat game that was based loosely on like Panzer Generals 2 and stuff like that like old proper World War 2 hex based war games uh, whereas this has very much gone at, at that from a different angle it's got it from the angle of civilization 5 and then there's legend um and the base building is like really trivial because you only have one object and that is to make war machines and, and it's like it's very fitting with the setting but as a game it's like really what shall rewarding. i build next yeah 
and oh, it's, oh, so you're short of requisitions. Oh, what should I do? Oh, just build the requisition building on, on the, on the, <laughs> an empty slot you've got. Oh, okay. Okay. I've done that. Okay. Three times later. Yeah. You've got enough requisition now. Oh, what else am I short of? Oh, power. Oh, what do you want to do there? Oh, you've got as many slots as you want in the city. So what do you want to do? Oh, I'll just build a power building. Oh, how can I tell? It's got a little lightning bolt on it. And the, all the progression of the game is simply about just doing what the game's kind of asking you to do. And it feels mm. completely arbitrary. And, and it's, it's a strategy game that robs you of so much of your agency because the moves you make are so obvious in every aspect of the game apart from combat itself. So of course you're going to pick these particular research options. Research uh, is just like every research tree is basically you get a selection of five or six things and once you pick two of them you go up to the next selection of five or six things. So it's really simplistic just kind of picking and choosing stuff as you go up a ladder uh, without any real kind of it doesn't really matter whether you choose to specialise in one thing or another because all you ultimately have to do is build 20 things and because units can only occupy one hex at a time, if you build enough things, you just win the game by just being able to span the entire map with an just army. Just fill the much. map with your yeah, army. Yeah, this is a, it just reveals huge problems with the, sort of the hex combat system, yeah. especially because it's, it's the entire focus of the game. So if I just build loads and loads of um, basic tactical marine squads, uh, and they've got like five elite squads they can only shoot at one of those tactical squads each turn. Huh. There are no AOE effect things. So you simply win by having numbers in the system because you just like walk past them mm. <laughs> <or walk laughs> around them. And, uh, you know, uh, the, and the, the, nothing is very lethal in the game. Everything whittles everything down. And there are sort of relationships between weapons. You might have like las cannons that are, have more armor penetration, might take vehicles down a little bit faster, but not that much faster. And a lot of the damage is semi-randomized anyway. So, uh, you know, a las cannon might have a very good turn against infantry uh, and, you know, but a load of infantry might have a good turn against the tank. Like everything in the kind of mulch of dice rolls that happens in a big conflict just ends up being meaningless. So mm. you, you just end up with this production game where you just throw out units and it clashes, they clash with other units and there's no challenge and there's no strategic thought going into or tactical thought going into where those units are especially positioned because you just build more and keep throwing them at the enemy until they go. Uh, and the AI, like as far as I played it, never put a constructive force together and attacked me. They're just sort of there to be mopped up. And the game tries to, the, the only reason the game kind of wouldn't be over within uh, like a, a couple of hours is because they put loads and loads of wildlife around you that you have to kill first in order to actually get to the enemy. <laughs> to give you something Which to do. basically roadblocks, yeah, that you have to just get past in order and you kill some, you know, uh, there are horrible kind of dribbly scorpion type creatures and you have to kill those lairs if you want to, I suppose, to stop them from endlessly spawning. And then you can push on to the, the necrons, the necrons who are supposed to be like a, you know, uh, eternal world universe destroying force potentially that lives in every world and it could come up and just obliterate everyone like that you know basically the undead faction of the one forty thousand universe um but I, I got to them and they had like five units left and i just sort of <laughs> rolled over them and then I, put, I lined up loads of space marines around their kind of central base the, the central building in their base and it took about like 10 turns of incrementally chipping that down as they did nothing to stop me because they, <laughs> they just didn't have any resources uh, and then that blew up and it's like oh the necrons are vanquished now that's great the necron <laughs> the, this yeah it's it's not a good strategy game by any stretch of the imagination but it's, it's kind of interesting it like by taking a load of the busy work out and it kind of lays bare how bad 4x combat is in almost every mm. game like it, mm. it it always comes down to even in the best strategy games it comes down to like dice rolls it's like how like with Gals of 2 like something you've played loads of yeah. so it's kind of about you know do you have the resources to put the most dice rolls on your big ship that you can roll into the enemy and you know uh, that's kind of like a meta resource victory rather than a kind of tactical victory that you've really accomplished uh, and this is just the ultimate stripped down version of that where it, you do the basic resource gathering and then the rest sort of follows. 
That is a little bit depressing. <laughs> the best thing in Gal- about Galso's combat was that, or Galso 2's combat was that, um, all your ships were potentially designed by you. You know, there were templates, but you could just custom build every single one. And so you, uh, it was up to you to kind of look at what the enemy were actually fielding and see what kind of armor it had, whether it was ablative armor or shields or, um, and then figure out what weapons are good for that. And then, sort of custom build a ship that's like really heavy on the attack that's going to get through those that kind of defense and then just build shitloads of engines to it and give it no armor just so it can get there and take out like this one important ship of theirs mm. and the actual fight was just automated it would just like happen it would win because you designed the thing to uh to do exactly that but it felt good because it was like yeah i built that for specifically to do that one thing and it'd be terrible at anything else and next time we have a different situation i gotta design a whole new kind of ship but <laughs> yeah this uh... That's a good point, actually, because it, in this game, you can unlock, unlock certain upgrades that change units and might give them extra guns and stuff. But a massive part of the Warhammer 40,000 setting and the war game itself is about equipping your units in certain ways to make them powerful against certain things or others. So the classic thing is that a Space Marine Devastator squad, which is basically a heavy weapon squad, you can give them like last cannons, which blow, blow up tanks, or you give them like heavy machine guns, which will destroy infantry. And um, you build them in this game, and they just come with last cannons. And as a 40k fan, you think, oh, good, I'll, I can just use them to take out the tanks. And then they just sort of don't. Over a period of many turns, they'll, they'll just do like three or four, they'll just do chip damage against the tank. They'll, they'll do slightly more damage than a tactical marine squad with basic machine guns, but they won't really do anything else. There's something fundamentally broken about the sort of rock, paper, scissors environment mm. that they've created that means that everything you build is kind of the same, <laughs> yeah. which is which is sad. It doesn't set themselves up for a problem in that, a tech tree by its nature is kind of heresy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like mm. you shouldn't be allowed to go up it. You should only be allowed to go down it. <laughs> like I'd be very forty k. If, you, if you, there's actually, I think there's sort of mileage in like forty k Galsip, <laughs> but where one of the one of the problems that you'd have as the Imperium is that like you start with all of the tech you'll ever have, yeah. and all you can do is like prioritize what you try and hold on to. You, you start with like loads of alien tech you've stolen over the, the last yeah. millennia or so, but if you start using them, then it increases your risk of um, the Inquisition, Inquisition turning up and just nuking. <laughs> destroying your entire chapter yeah like you can attempt to like discreetly (laughs) like a tech upgrade like improved irrigation and that's it's exterminatus everything must die now yeah yeah man there is there's something there it'd probably be just incredibly sad like but you're you're (laughs) very high production of increasingly useless things yeah yeah it's it's a shame because again i just still want good 40k games Mm. because it is a good setting for video games it's like a very video game setting in many ways like it's it's so over the top the factors are so vivid uh, the stakes are so ludicrous that you could just craft a good RTS campaign out of people blowing up planets and tyrannies yeah, coming out of called the Dawn and stuff of like War, that. isn't it? Yeah, and the Dawn of War is great. <laughs> um, but, uh, you yeah, know, you see the licenses going out to almost anyone and you can see mm. a, lot, a lot of these kind of middling games coming out that aren't, aren't great. And, uh, yeah. This, the, the screenshots I've seen of the maps, I mean, obviously it's meant to be, be grim, but, like, it's all very purple, yeah. brown, kind of, it all looks a bit dismal. Yeah, it is. It's um because it's all set on Gladius, the, just one planet. You only get like pretty much. Is that. Gladius a nice place? It's not a nice place. Could they set it on a nice place? They, uh, they kind of could. There are like lush jungles and stuff. Forty k, like you know. Yeah, I remember something Dawn of War. Yeah, you, you, all the the planets can just be beautiful if you want them to be. Then yeah. they get destroyed and made horrible by the nice factions that run in. Hmm. Um, but uh, uh, Gladius itself, like they, they are randomly generated environments, but they're all 
the biomes are pretty basic. You do have sort of polar areas that are a bit snowy, but mostly it's just purple and brown. The units are kind of, at a glance, look like they, the tabletop versions, because Mint Games Watcher wouldn't let them get away with them not looking accurate. But in motion, they're just like, they're very stiff and uninspiring. And if this was like Warhammer 40,000 Battle Chess, which is a game that exists, but basically thrives on having ridiculous animations and stuff. If it was just a very basic, you know, game about producing units and pushing them at the enemy, and you didn't have to think very much, but there are all these kind of crazy animations, it's really yeah. exciting. And yeah, like the hollow chess from Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. And if it, it, I wouldn't, I would forgive it much more of its simplicity if it generated any of But what you're seeing is like a collection of three space marines, kind of going, <laughs> dugga, 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 and then you're watching... Pew, 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 the thing. There's, like, there's no three in. pops up. Yeah. The the, the, so, uh, Civilization has ruined this for everyone because Civilization has like bespoke am- animations depending on what's fighting what. Mm. So, uh, the spearmen fighting other, you know, people with swords and shields, like their spears will go into them and they'll yeah. fall over. Like, they're, they're, <laughs> that's how that works. Yeah. yeah but it, that's, <laughs> not how this, that's not how that works in this game. Uh, and because the attacking, uh, unit does the attack animation and the defending unit reacts not at all to it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you, there's like grenade attacks that you can do, uh, and, it, they literally look like they're throwing pebbles and they're just they're, they're just barely explode when they hit and the, the unit receiving the attack just literally stands there completely motionless and then as Alex describes a little three pops up and then their health bar goes down slightly uh, how many turns like generally like how many turns does it take to kind of take down a unit oh it, so if it's one unit fighting another unit that you're looking at like I would guess seven to ten turns. Oh Jesus God. Christ! That At is... a basic level, it doesn't tell you how much time passes per turn. <laughs> There's no, like no, a, no. four I, millennia. Yeah, it's like a year. Yeah. You're, you're building cities and stuff. So it's <laughs> yeah, exactly. quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. My granddad's yeah. been out there. His granddad before him <laughs> yeah, fighting that one space marine. This is actually a problem the Sins of a Solar Empire had. Um, mm. The combat took an incredibly long time, and like colonizing new worlds kind of didn't. You could like <laughs> right. while the fight was going on, you could just go off and colonize a new system and yeah. come back yeah. like, new reinforcements from there before the first ship has died <laughs> yeah if you've got a basic unit fighting a slightly higher level animal uh, not even just an enemy unit <laughs> just a very patient like a, leopard yeah, <laughs> yeah. A, a weird scorpion if, if, they're, if they're not leveled up they, they won't necessarily receive enough uh, damage to die for a long time but they will they can spend 7 to 10 turns chipping them down <laughs> it's not you shouldn't do that obviously like that's a stupid move to do in the game you want to go and you know <laughs> get and kill lower level stuff and the game kind of wants you to gang up on uh, situations like that and send 2 or 3 units to surround and then then you can burst stuff down in like 2 or 3 turns but, still two or three with yeah, like hundreds of three. guns. Yeah. Lovely yeah. implication, like it is your birthday, my day, my child, and today you come of age and shall go fight the patient leopard like your <laughs> father and mother before you and their father and mother before them. <laughs> We've been fighting the patient leopard for a long time. There's a fundamental scale problem with only having one unit to a hex when... Uh, it's just one guy standing <laughs> yeah. 15 hectares um, uh, shooting, throwing <laughs> pebbles at for 15 years. <laughs> 15 years. <laughs> uh, so a city can be like a very, like, a very advanced city will be a central um, hex and maybe like two surrounding layers. And like you can build an army, a very basic army that is much larger than that city. Just and they're not allowed to go like occupy each other's hexes. So they have to stretch out across these vast areas, which is is a problem with hex combat generally. Like you, if you're going to have units in a hex, they have to be really impactful because 
you can't just you can just block out entire sections of the map, mm. which is what you end up doing with this game. Uh, it's quite instructive for like what not to do in a strategy <laughs> a strategy game. It does sound fascinating for that. Yeah. yeah, it definitely. Yeah, does it cause pathfinding issues too when you're like moving large armies around? Uh, it's, it's not too bad. The UI is pretty good, and the pathfinding is generally quite good. And it's just stuff like if you hold down the right mouse button when uh, you're actually guiding a unit, it'll show you the path they're going to take. Uh, and if uh, the path gets blocked, it will basically stop and ask you to. Um, you know, pick a different path for them. Yeah. It never really caused many problems. That was my thing with Civ Five. was just like all of my units were stopping every single turn to say, I don't know how to get to where you told me to get to because mm. there's a guy in my way and it's the other guy. And the other guy is also saying, I don't know how to get to where I'm going because there's this guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, once there was more than five units, that was happening just every single turn. Everyone would need me to tell them manually, okay, just go to this this step in front of you. is empty, isn't it? Why don't you go there yeah. and just wait to see if eventually there's another hex you can get to. <laughs> the first map that it generated for me in this game... Uh, gave me only one route to the southern hemisphere half of the map, which is where obviously all the enemies were based. So all of my space marines had to, before I unlocked like a, a drop pod ability that let me actually drop onto their base. Eventually. How did you get there in the first place? Um, there was like, there was one hex. We were all born here. There was one hex at the very <laughs> top right of the map, which was like a massive choke point, And everything had to go via that hex oh, right, to get all the way down. 80 the- years of <laughs> queuing up to go through the hex. Yeah, so it was very much like, you know, every time a new unit came out, you just like, left click on it scoop down to the very bottom of this massive hex map just right click on a random hex and be like fucking see you in 50 turns maybe <laughs> and that's that, that whole game planned out that way it's like dreadnoughts going one by one through this like oh god massive you point. own spaceships <laughs> yeah. they do you do eventually get tech that lets them drop in but it takes influence and to get influence you need to build influence buildings <laughs> yes yeah, it's, it's just YouTubers it's not a good game it's not very good <laughs> It's not very That's good. That's a shame. That it is, is a shame. shame. Yeah, it is a shame. Because it's at the top of the Steam charts at the moment. It's done really well. Yeah, it has well, done. Well, relative, it's like, it's relatively quite popular. Uh, and, you know, to contrast that, we've played another Warhammer game over the weekend called Vermintide 2, which is, is wonderful. a fantastic game. Yeah. It's really, really, very really good. good. And they've, uh, they've tweaked a lot with kind of upgrade systems. I saw that there's problems with the progression and stuff in it, but the actual... The, the levels are really cool and yeah. the classes are really cool and the actual yeah. uh, the melee combat is excellent as well it's, yeah. it's really good stuff playing that through with the same four people so we had one consistent party yeah. and making sure that we did it all together so no one had seen anything for the first time nice. getting all the way through the campaign was like genuinely one of the best multiplayer things I've done this year yeah the levels like, are really really cool good little adventure and there's yeah. so many good moments in it mm. like um yeah, although it is, it can be buggy, but yeah, but sometimes it's the best. Yeah. Best bug I've ever seen in that game was, uh, when we all died, except, um, I think my friend Dan, who was trapped in the animation where one of the kind of random sort of big monsters, that left dead tank equivalent that could show up is a chaos spawn, mm. which is like a sort of tentacle beast, um, which shows up. And one of its things it'll do is like pick you up and then like bite your head. Not off, but like a lot, and then throw you. Yeah. And he got stuck in the animation where he did all of that, but then it didn't throw him. <laughs> so it was just holding him. And, and the rest of us were all like, one of us was like dangling off a ledge in that kind of like left for dead dangling, waiting to be revived yeah. way. And everyone else is sort of just like lying on the ground. And everyone is screaming because everyone's <laughs> screaming that I'm down, Bart. And the game should have ended because we should all be dead. We'll be incapacitated. Yeah. And, um, but like, 
it was just this chorus of, and this chaos one got stuck in this animation where it was just standing there waving one guy around and just wobbling its tentacles and kind of like bellowing in the air. And he would go, Oh no! Every couple of seconds. And then someone else would go, someone else would go, Help! And then we were just, and it literally just, we had to quit the game and it was really a real shame, but it was yeah, one of those. Fantastic. I, I, yeah, I shadow played the whole thing. It was one of the honest to God weeping with laughter. Like it was just, the whole thing is so like, and this is how the world ends. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, the bar and stuff the witch hunter are, are brilliant and we fought a troll for the first time on on sunday and it's the best execution for like a warhammer troll which has like mm. the famous has a vomit attack yeah. but this vomit attack is disgusting yeah. it's yeah. so gross the kind of particle effect the omni spray that kind of comes out of yeah. it and flails at you is so gross it's excellent it's a it's a very very good game and they've you, done a great job you get the um and um they've done really well to like expand all those original characters out into like subclasses and things like, i don't know if you got far enough to get to the not quite but right. I, I know yeah the um because i i started off as the i played the dwarf all the way through and i really love the dwarf because you go from like you know dwarf ranger who's a bit, a bit good at everything but can run around and then i played the iron breaker for a long time who's basically just like, uh, like it reminded me of um our D campaign like the brick child basically <laughs> like it's like you know like a, a three foot wedge that you just put in front of and because the dwarf is so short but can tank so much in front of them you anyone else can stand behind them like waist high cover like mobile <laughs> shooter game cover and then immediately after that you unlock the slayer which is basically the opposite you take all of your clothes off and get two axes and then one of your abilities is just like propel dwarf it's <laughs> like you go from zero to like bounding 20 foot forwards <laughs> and it's like impossible not to do because it's actually it's legitimately a bad idea quite a lot of the time yeah, yeah. but that's kind of the point of the yeah, fantasy of that are, yeah, yeah. Sure, <laughs> and yeah. so you get into the situation where like you're facing down hordes of chaos warriors towards the end of the game yeah um in this in the really rad environments and mm-hmm. in the sort of like some strategy and then you just can't not press the <laughs> boing button because you're like, <laughs> and you're off. <laughs> it's the, so good all the art that exists of slayers Shows them in midair, yeah, yeah. yeah. head. Like that is completely the fantasy. Yeah, yeah. aerial dwarf. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. There's oh man, I want to play from Tattoo again. Yeah, I want to play that as well. Brilliant game. We should, we should play. play it. Yeah, and mm. the fact that like um when you get in the high difficulty levels, like friendly fire is always on, oh, so it becomes oh, and really? that actually makes it really interesting. Yeah, it's yeah. like the fire wizard, like the bright say, wizard. Yeah, yeah it's like, they are really dangerous. Really dangerous. And like, but even like the dwarf get too excited, mm-hmm. and like people start dying, or like you know a bad, you know, it's a it's a game that welcomes calamity, which is something I really really love about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Which, yeah, all roll new characters. Yeah, yeah, played, yeah, yeah. I haven't played either of them. Maybe we should put it on the old. You can skip Vermintide one now. I think. Like, I went back and played yeah. Vermintide one. Like, it's the same characters. Like, it's one story, but you can skip ahead. And and the second one's just like a lot. It's, it's like it's yeah. like um, left like the only thing it doesn't do is the thing that Left 4 Dead two did which is like include all levels from left 4 dead one like if they did that it would be perfect oh, that'd be really good. but i think they made so many structural changes and added loads of new enemies and i mean the whole chaos stuff like it's the first mm. one's 100 percent skaven hence fermentide um and this one's a mix of of skaven and, and chaos and it's some of the Gribblies. most fun melee combat i've had the first person melee combat that i've experienced in the game i think yeah uh it's, it's got a brilliant interpretation of headshots and a real sense that you're chopping bits off people and stuff it's a really good piece that someone wrote about mm. how that works. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's um, I love that like little soft bouncing things, but they're really funny. Like Chaos Warriors are really really tough mm. and big, 
and they take you know you, you really want to take them down with like precision headshots mm. but it's really hard to do when you're a dwarf right because you're so small that mm. you can't you can't get up there which leads you to these experiences of like running up a ledge and jumping off and when you do get that kill it feels amazing like <laughs> you know the full basically it's like it, it's um it's just helm's deep the game basically <laughs> right it is just you know the legolas and gimli rivalry turned into a into a, and where it makes more sense as well, like, like you know, yeah. like yeah, we are superheroes because we're Warhammer heroes. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. Man, I'm, damn, damn. We all play Vampire now. Hot yeah, great. I love it. Mm. What you play, Chris? I have been playing Objects in Space, which is a uh, a lovely indie uh, space exploration game. So shades of elite. Um, which X is, is this one? <laughs> it's exploration. Exploration. Exfoliation. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah. Um, How many X's? Just one. Just the one X. Um, you can explore. You can exploit, maybe. I don't know. It's not that kind of game. Um, it's, it's sort of, I guess, mechanically quite a lot like Elite in that it's a spaceship sort of trading exploration game set in a star system. Um, but what makes it, it's, it's, uh, and it's, it's an interesting proposition from a presentation point of view. The developers describe it as modem punk. So it's sort of like late eighties, early nineties computer tech. So not quite the same era of tech as in films like Alien or, or whatever, where you know you have seventies computer tech, but like not m- Mars off either. A little bit further along, but like your your compute your spaceship is basically a series of two eight sixes that are wired up to, to different systems, and your interaction with the game is is um, you sort of use the arrow keys to move left and right through rooms really like in a sort of old school like point and click adventure kind of way flick yeah flick perspective basically yeah yeah. yeah. um rather than moving around yourself Uh, and then when you dock in a space station you can move around the space stations in the same way you can click on terminals to bring up the terminals interact with them directly um and everything is very sort of uh analog and uh um and there's a lot to sort of learn about how the systems work. And and that, the high concept is that you should learn through a little tutorial, then you get dumped in this um, space sector and left to your own devices really, really, really quickly. And so you can do more or less anything you want. And the appeal comes through the kind of depth of simulation. Like the developers kind of describe it as a bit like a submarine game. And it kind of is because like... Because that's the first thing I thought of, like those those old DOS submarine games games where you'd be flicking between like now going to the port yeah actually that's the best comparison like silent hunter kind of yeah like um you know your you know your ship you might be able to just about see a tiny bit of pixel it looks it's very sort of voxely and kind of uh lo-fi um but uh nice looking in its own way like and um um, you might see a little, little window of space, but it's sort of realistic in the sense that when you do see space, it's just going to be a spinning star field because your ship is spinning for gravity. So tonally, in terms of the plot and things, probably think the expanse is kind of like where it's at, like sort of, sort of lo-fi, in, heavily industrial. Everything's a little bit ship. People are just doing jobs to get along kind of space fantasy. And, um, so, uh, it takes, it takes, the systems are, are pretty deep in terms of how things are simulated. So moving around in space is a question of looking at your nav console, which is just a little icon representing your ship on a star field and everything in scanner range. And then you can plot a course and let your autopilot do things, but maybe your autopilot will take you into an area you haven't explored before. And you'll find yourself an asteroid field and you'll hear it's all, a lot. It's done with sound it kind of reminds me of, well, lots of games do clever things with sound, but like, you know how like DEFCON gave you the sense that you were in a nuclear bunker just mm. with atmospheric sound, even though you're just looking at a, 
a monitor, basically. It's that same thing, right? Like, it is smoke and mirrors to the extent that it's not, it's not new elite where you'll be looking out the window at incredible stellar vistas. It's, and not even really old school elite where it'll attempt to simulate it using the graphics available at the time. It's very much you're staring at a screen. Um, and you'll plot. Did you, did you ever play uh, Capsule? It's no. an Adam Saltzman oh, yeah. and some, I think, a sound sign. I can't remember the name. But uh, that that is you're looking at a scanner screen. Mm. I think it's Robin Arnott, isn't it? Might, yeah, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's looking at a scanner screen and it is all about sound. And like the things you can see on the scanner screen are basically ASCII. And, right. And all you're doing is sort of steering your ship and picking up enough enough, enough O2 kind of icons you that you don't like run out sort of thing. Your breath and your pulse rate. Yeah. And you, but it's all kind of like if you hit something, you'd hear it clonking against the hull. Mm. But I literally, you're just playing a, like a, a spectrum game. Like effectively, that's, yeah. that's as deep as it goes. This is similar, like not like in that, you know, um, obviously what's, you know, it is, it is using travel time on the, on the map to, in, to give you a sense of the scale of space. You yeah. know, it's, it's very much illusory, right? You can't look out the window and see stars and spaceships going by you're just glued to your screen watching the, the monitor occasionally you'll maybe take manual control um and it's sort of it's very much like you know quote-unquote realistic space flight in the you know moment like ma- momentum is conserved and and so your your autopilot and your rcs will sort of take control of all these things for you if you want them to but they might just take you through an asteroid field maybe you'll stop and move around then all of this stuff sort of feeds into into deeper systems like um, if you plot a course so that your turns take place in nebula, then that will mask some red signatures, which will mean the pirates are less likely to find you because uh, everything is sort of simulated at a very granular level about how ships detect one another and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And you can buy and upgrade every component in your ship. If a component in your ship breaks, it's not just a question of repairing it. Uh, you have to uh, o- disconnect it, open it, unscrew four screws, <laughs> take the panel off, good, look good. at the circuit board, and then figure out what components need replacing. And the next time you're in the ship, buy the right set of capacitors and plug them back in, or manually and put the screws back in. Oh, and that kind of thing. Oh, yeah, it's super, like super detailed. And there's lots of like, I, I, I've only played like three hours of it now, and I'm, I'm pootling because I think it's a game of pootling. Um, but like, there's lots of stuff to sort of pick up on. Like when, uh, when something appears on your long range scanners and you don't really know what it is, it could be another ship, it could be a cargo container, it could be debris, you know, whatever. Um, initially your main way of, you know, you might think I upgrade my scanners and that will resolve a, a better signature faster. But one thing you can do is like, look at the scanner, which is just another computer in your little, it feels like you're on a wheelie chair, like spinning between (laughs) banks of computers, basically Mm -hmm. you you glued to the nav most of the time, but then you might look at something else and find that like, okay, well, if I look at the scanner, when I select that object has a waveform. And that waveform displays, like any other waveform would, um, like um, peaks and troughs at different frequencies. And different types of equipment, from engines to reactors to so-and-so, as well as having like a power drain, uh, have a certain frequency that they resonate at at different uh, wavelengths. So if you look at something and you really know your ships, the idea is that you'll be able to tell like, oh shit, that's a Series 3 class freighter <laughs> masking its engine signature because I can, I can see the waveform matches. So it's all this like, and there's even like an NPC that charges you like a hundred credits to teach you how that works. <laughs> and like, that's the sort of level of granularity that if you want to be a pirate, 
then you can find ships that are masking their signatures in a nebula by looking at the waveforms and figuring out that's debris because it's only resonating on this frequency that indicates it's made of nickel or something. And But this is a ship because that looks like an engine frequency. The nickel back frequency. The nickel card. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you remind them. Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, and that's just, that's just really neat. But like, um, and on top of that is quite a sort of nicely put together not story necessarily because there is a story and it's like uh it, i don't want to spoil what happens at the, at the beginning um uh, necessarily to kind of put you into this sector of space but um as you start to explore um as you go to certain stations you'll meet npcs and again you just tab through different screens on the stations and there are terminals interact with and buy new parts and ships and take contracts and take on passengers and upgrade and uh take loans out and stuff like that as you do all that stuff um you also meet NPCs that kind of give you quests, basically. And there is, you have some choice about how you choose to go about executing those quests and, and what you prioritize and what you don't. And that's all good. And it puts those things in front of you in quite an organic feeling way, which is really nice. And the other thing is that time passes, kind of not in real time, but like in-game time passes as you do stuff. And it only pauses when you pause and everything else. You can accelerate time to move faster between things, but it is keeping track of the date. And as you go... Uh, the news advances. So when, it, when it, you know you check your, you bring up your communications terminal. You um, you if this is the level of granularity where your communications terminal is linked to like a synchronizer, which is like a line with stellar relays, that oh, kind of cool. thing. Yeah, and um, it, you have to manually sync it. So you might wait, and that has a power. So you don't drain. know what date it is until you've synced it. You know what date it is because it's on your PDA, but you but you won't know if you got any new messages until right. you like. I've just got a jump drive in my ship now, which means I don't need to go through gates, like jump gates to travel between systems. I can spool up my jump drive and jump manually, which is this whole process that feels very like, not like Star Wars hyperdrive exciting. It's not like dashing and then. Has it got the Eve thing of a line? Like, is it that sort of technical you've got process to, of a line? Yeah, you've got stuff. to spool up the jump drive. And so everything has, so the nice thing is there's no fuel. I think fuel would have killed the game because it, it would feel very like. Yeah pedantic constantly refueling you have to worry about damage and things but that's something you've usually incurred due to something you did wrong like you went through an asteroid belt because you weren't looking at where you're plotting a course that kind of thing um but your reactor and batteries and solar sail if you have one can only generate so much power for you um um but it will always generate that amount of power and then different actions will drain power so if you have a healthy ship well you're just um because flying somewhere is not a case of flying with the engines on you boost for a time until you get to your maximum velocity and then you stop mm. and then your autopilot will take care of this most of the time if you're turning you around halfway and then boosting the other direction to slow you down and that's where if you want to mask your signature you want to time it so that those whenever your engines are on you're somewhere not where in you're range, yeah. not in range or you're in a nebula where it'll mask that signature and that kind of thing so that's where the strategy comes in which is all kind of neat and, and clever um but your you know stuff will have you know you, you can see at any given time when you learn what the there's a lot of learning what bars mean on stuff and what buttons do that you can just click you know on, on the panels that are in front of you and things um but you learn to like let your power spool back up so that when you're operating on sort of like your RCS, your kind of flight control stuff. You, um, you, you're not tanking your reactor. Like it's had a chance to kind of get some power into the batteries and but then it'll tick over nicely. And then jumping between systems using a jump drive is a case of like uh, coming to a full stop in the right quadrant of the sector you're in, spooling down everything, then, then spinning up the jump drive and it'll click up to a hundred percent and then getting 
building up a, a jump solution for the target system. And you can jump early if you want, but it's better to let it take up to 100%. And then you jump and everything goes dark for a second. And then all of the terminals reboot and you watch like the DOS windows come up on all of them and like go through all their little, uh, because everything reboots when you jump to a new terminal. And then maybe swinging in your chair. I, I, I think sometimes it's traders walking from room to room, but it, for me, it feels like, being that like bored captain in Alien where you're just sort of sat in the chair looking at the terminals, like, you know, just sort of waiting for something to go wrong. It's good with like sound cues as well for like when you need to pay attention to something. I'm definitely a sucker for kind of screens in ships. Like, yeah. there was, like that was the thing in, um, oh, Scavenger SV4. Yeah. It reminds me of Scavenger SV4. Very different scope. Yeah. It's, um, but yeah. And then, um, um, but yeah, but you get emails basically as well. You get news and emails, which, you know, you synchronize your terminal, um, and you can set it to auto sync. That's a power drain. So if you, you know, want to save it, you just manually sync. And then, um, there's news stories that are updated sort of over time. I get the impression they just come in as time passes. So there's, but they're presumably written a story that happens in. Yeah, you know, there's, stuff, there's, there's stuff going on and, and that stuff relates to real quote unquote places in the game. So you can go and find things. Um, and also you get emails and some of those emails are related to things you've done. And some of them are sort of like uh, characters getting in touch with you and sometimes more lucrative missions than the ones you might necessarily find in stations, mm-hmm. um, uh, will show up as emails. So like, and sometimes they're related. So like, and the reason this works really nicely is like flying from place to place is slow and a little bit boring. Like it's a submarine game in that way, right? Like getting from A to B is not necessarily like hugely thrilling because it's not really supposed to be. And I think maybe if you were just playing it just for the kind of min-maxing it, you'd probably read an actual book while you were waiting. Even with time on times four, which is the fastest, it can still take a while. But what you can do is swing around in your in-game seat and load up your email terminal and read through all the news stories and then read, and then eventually, you know, maybe your terminal will beep and you'll spin back around and you're being hailed by a, you know, a police cruiser because your IFF signature was off and that incurs a 50 credit fine. So you apologize (laughs) and then you spin back around and you go back to it. But like I, you know, little things that happen so far, like reading about a character in the news stories and then having that same character email because of the system I was in saying, I want someone to transport me somewhere discreetly. Uh, no questions asked. Uh, looking for pilots and then accepting that, but then ignoring another one and having an email later saying, I found a pilot, don't worry about it. We're not going to do that. And having sort of like possibilities open up and close off as you kind of explore this little universe. It's really neat. Like still in early access, I think it did crash on me once. So that's a caveat. And it does a weird, I've got a, um, a, uh, a 1440p monitor. And so I re and it won't run full screen, which is my only other complaint about hmm. it. It tops out at, uh, at, uh, 1080 basically so if you run it full screen it just occupies one corner of the screen and the rest is black um or you run it in a window but i wanted it to kind of even though it's lo-fi i want it full screen so it's sort of maximally immersive so those things kind of crazy looking at screens within a screen within a screen (laughs) within yeah so i actually have it in a window which um (laughs) but yeah which isn't optimal so those are those those are little niggles but like actually i really charmed by it and despite a sort of early and quite steep not necessarily a steep learning curve because I don't think it's super complicated and the tutorial is pretty good. It's just that it is technical and it doesn't offer like big space wows straight away. It doesn't, you know what I mean? It, it's That's not what its goal is. But that means that there's like, it doesn't give you that like, and here's the exciting, here's the reason you persevere yeah. with learning all these mm-hmm. systems. It's just, you have to be into the idea of flying a space tugboat where you, there's nothing to look at. 
But you, that's a, a quite evocative thing, I think. Mm. I mean, it, when you hearing you describe it, it reminds me of um, a, a, a time when I was younger and I was fascinated with flight sims. Not because I knew how to play them at all, but the fact that it put you in a cockpit with loads mm. of little things you could flick and kind of tap and change and <laughs> loads of readouts mm. and a sense that you're actually in a working vehicle that you could manipulate and crash. Mm. Yeah, you can definitely do both of those things. Yeah. There's a nice... Um, it doesn't let you completely screw yourself up. Like, there's lots of little sort of sort of pedantic things, but it's interesting. There's a line between, like, asking the player to do, to do too much and too little. Like, if you want to leave a station, so you've docked, you have to go to the terminal in the station near the airlock where your ship is docked and click request undocking permission because uh, they won't let you if you've got like if you've done a crime for example that can incur a different issue and then you, you get acceptance then you have to go into your ship and then you have to look back at your own airlock door and close both airlocks good and then you have to go to your ship terminal and click undock and then you have to wait for that to happen and you just hear it like there's you know on paper the whole game could be 10 times faster if it removed all of the time you spend waiting but for leaving an imaginary... a space station would just wouldn't feel anything yeah. was mm. not anything like and like momentous. but if you if you turn around and look at your airlock door above the airlock door is a terminal that you can look at that just measures interior and exterior pressure and while you're in a station you can see it and it's the same because the you know in atmospheric pressure and both and you can just watch that number go down if you like <laughs> <laughs> like it's like elite in uh trucks in elite dangerous is brilliant for going into space yeah. stations they'll give you a post and you'll look around the space station you'll see oh that's my platform and it feels yeah. like you're in that space universe where you know other platforms are occupied by other people doing business which is that's such a great illusion that yeah, yeah. the weird thing so is the kind of like i think david braben is is very very keen for uh elite to be physically kind of realistic so that's why frontier you know frontier 2 uh elite 2 uh has kind of realistic sort of movement where you do the boosting thing mm. and then you kind of fire off then to slow down at the other end and you're actually you are sort of doing arcs that go across and it was it wasn't fun at all like you just put the uh, you know put the um the, the the autopilot on and 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 speed time up as much as you could and then then you'd have a fight and it was literally people orbiting each other like and you they'd come in you know within range of your lasers and you'd have like a little shot before they slung shot around you it wasn't very fun and and i think elite dangerous is like to like extents quite a sort of a capitulation like mm. it's as it's as realistic as they could while keeping yeah. the dogfighting game where this actually sounds much closer to the 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 the, the sort of the braben vision that, that yeah than- it doesn't have slingshotting around stars for example like stars don't appear to have like a gravitational impact right 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 you so it is sort of point to point within a system which 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 makes i mean like it's like yeah. the human mind is really not designed like, to think and, about and like and, we, we like real fucking space yeah like, and space know. is mm. kind of two-dimensional in any given sector is like as you experience it on your nav map like a top-down view of space. But, but what games do, actually, very, very few games try to do three-dimensional space. Like, you are mm. mostly, like, you might be able to fly up and down a bit, but mostly you're on this flat plane, like, and yeah. all the planets are on, like, this sort of disc. Homeworld yeah. um, was a, 
uh, you could choose mm. the plane at which you were actually manipulating the units, it, yeah, but yeah. it was a truly 3D game in the sense yeah. that Under Armour was a thing and Over Armour was a thing. Like if you if you were related, you know, spun in this direction, shooting upwards, and you know, capital ship that poor Under Armour that would be doing extra damage. Like that was a truly 3D game, and it messed people up. Yeah, it was really <laughs> hard to cope with. Yeah. yeah, it was really complicated. And uh, there are these amazing ones that add like subsystems to all of the ships that could be you know taken out, and you have to adapt them and rotate them to you know, it it gets too insane like there's obviously like a niche for that type of thing but it's, it's true you rarely see true 3d movements in, in many games and that's sort of what interests me about this is that like it has a sort of you know for all of its systemic depth and and sort of realism or like impression of realism it kind of wants to be like an atmospheric experience mm. first and foremost it's about kind of like feeling like you're in that space and like um you know, getting hails from other ships and, and replying. There's a lot of writing in it. And that's, you know, you know. This is kind of like the Animal Crossing thing where, mm. like, you are, nothing is actually systemically happening, you know, yeah. really. But it feels alive because you're noticing tiny little incremental changes or, mm. you know, because there is a routine to things. And, you know, yeah. I think routine is a, a wonderfully kind of underused kind of powerful yeah. thing. It's little things like you get scanned by system patrol craft and things. See if you're carrying contraband or whatever, or if you're, you, you know, breaching a local law, but so do all the other ships around you. And so you can, and you can see those conversations pop up on your comms panel as well. <laughs> and that's sort of the, sort of the fact that it's applied universally. It just, it feels like a multiplayer universe. Like it feels like a good mud maybe, even though it's not like, Yeah. It's neat. And uh, named after a very good Firefly episode. What's mm. that called again? Objects in Space. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, no, I'd, I'd recommend it. It's, I think it's £15 in early access. Um, and definitely in a quiet taste. Like, I, I definitely recommend it. If it sounds like, you know, because it's, it's a very much a mind's eye game in terms of that's where it lives, basically. It's, it's you know, a, a, sim- a complex, but in principle, simple set of interactions that create a, a, a powerful illusion. But as such, it's one of those games that uh, can just can. I mean, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it's in talking about it, you obviously describe your own mind's eye impression of it. So it's easy f- to get like an impression of it that it doesn't necessarily match up to the reality, depending on what you're expect- expecting. So for that reason, I'd say look at the Steam store page and look at some videos. If this sounds like the kind of thing that you'd be into. Uh, to get a sense of whether that's the thing you want to learn. You know, do you want to learn the sort of early 90s, late 80s era computer interfaces of the far future? But I have really enjoyed it. And I don't always click with games like this, like where there is that sort of technical, or like sort of complexity. Um, but actually I find it quite sort of chilled out and, and charming. And I like the, I like the, the many noises of space. <laughs> You're chilled out, charming. Thanks, man. I don't have many noises. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do some questions. Shall we? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't have said it otherwise, would I, Alex? suppose not. Mm. <laughs> I feel chastened. You should be. <laughs> and have and do. Nico writes, as people who write a lot and do a lot of things in the old computator, what are your attitudes slash advice slash experiences regarding repetitive stress injury or RSI, if you nasty? Oh, I'm glad that question's asked. I'm beginning to get a little bit of that coming into my right wrist at the moment. And it's annoying that out of me. My position on it is I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want it. Does that mean it doesn't um, go? 
Uh, well, so it's not like I don't have persistent pain in my uh, hands when I'm not using a computer. But <laughs> the course. fact that it hurts when I do use a computer is more or less consistent. Um, I The most success I've had, I've used, I've bought just every device under the sun to replace a mouse specifically. Typing doesn't really hurt that much. Um, uh, but using mice um, uh, has an effect pretty quickly. And so I've used like uh, various kinds of trackballs, uh, mice that are on their side, trackballs that are on their side. The problem with the mouse that's on its side, by the way, so you hold your hand as if you're sort of going to shake someone's hand and, and that's the grip for the mouse. Um, but otherwise it moves across the table in a normal way. Problem with it is it's like three times the height of a normal mouse. And it turns out uh, when I'm reaching for the mouse, I just kind of sweep my hand across the desk at a certain height. And at that height, it just bats that mouse across the room. <laughs> it's wireless, so it just flies freely into the wall. <laughs> and that just happened like eight times the first day I used it. <laughs> like, oh, this is, just isn't going to work. The most success I had was something, it's just called an air mouse, um, but it's not a mouse and it doesn't use the air. <laughs> it's a trackball that's wireless and it's uh, shaped almost like a tiny gun. Um, and the trackball is on your thumb. Um, and the click is, is the trigger. Um, and that worked really well for me because, uh, it's not bound to a desk in any way. So you're just completely free to move your arms around however you like. Um, and so that just ends up meaning you're using it in lots of different positions and it's not repetitive in the same way that like, mm. um, it also, it means you're, whole sitting posture is not constrained by needing to move the mouse around um so the way i that's wireless and i just have that i have that plugged into my main computer and also to my laptop uh just at all times as well as a normal mouse so i use a normal mouse you know when i need accuracy or uh to play fps's to be honest this thing is not good enough you kind of need to use a mouse um but i'll just switch to this when i'm browsing through twitter or whatever and just changing is good as well just not using the same thing all the time and the other big thing I've done is I've just play, I learned to play FPSs on a gamepad, which I previously hated and thought was impossible. <laughs> and now it's just second nature to me and I, mm. I prefer it that way. Yeah. I've... I mean, I'm not as good at it as I am with a mouse and keyboard. Like I don't prefer it and it's not actually more accurate or anything. It's just more comfortable. Yeah. I'm finding that, that I don't know whether I was, presumably I was doing it beforehand, but I found that, um, I mean, it's, it, since it's kicked in, I'm noticing that I'm gripping, even using a controller, I'm gripping it really hard. Oh, really? Because then I feel it aching kind of in my hand as well. I don't know. I can't. It feels it's like it's chasing into every aspect mm. of my mm. gaming. Mm. Kind I'm noticing in the sense of like, I always feel like I'm twisting my hands inwards too much when I'm on a keyboard. It's almost like a tension in just like you're asked by a normal mouse grip and normal keyboard grip to hold your hands at an odd inward angle. Yeah. It's hard to, it's a terrible description on a podcast. But <laughs> people who understand it will know. And yeah, I'm starting to feel that kind of tension and some pain about that. Tom but, uh, looks like he's cranking an oven up to 11. <laughs> uh, two oven in opposite direction. One in each hand, one, one, down. one, zero. one off and one on. Yes. Tom looks like he's just realized he's put the wrong hob on. <laughs> yeah. I was correct them both at alarming speed. Uh, Defrost mode, but maximum temperature. <laughs> <laughs> I'd echo the um, playing shooters with pads thing, actually. And I discovered this playing Destiny, which is very much a shooter that's designed for a pad, which mm. helps enormously. And some games just are better designed for pads than others. Uh, First-person games, this is. Um, but I would be much more comfortable with 
playing with a pad for something like Dishonored uh, mm. to something and you know Destiny obviously and anything that goes to a console tends to have a fairly good like pad controls these days yeah, mm. yeah. I'd say I'd say especially single player stuff what I've noticed also is that it really kicks in more when I'm kind of feeling run down it's kind of like people talk about you know your joints aching at certain times more but like it just it just it seems to be the the weak point at the moment like it just sort of flares mm. up does it does it hurt in a long cold winter uh, I, we'll see, we'll <laughs> yeah, see probably. as the, the coming the, winters. Yeah, the nights draw in. <laughs> I've never got it. That's good. Mm. It's because you're a healthy man. Am I? Well, you do the painting. That's true. Actually, no, I do get some of this little bit of RSF in painting, so that doesn't count. But I never got it from computer stuff. Weird. No answers there. That's a lot. Only further questions. <laughs> mm. That's just holding your hand in one position for a long time. That's not the same as RSI, is it? It is, isn't it? I badly misunderstood the question. <laughs> Let's move on. <clears throat> uh, Hannah Flynn from Failbetter. You know, Hannah. Hannah's great. I did a pod with Hannah when I was at Rest. It's really good. People should listen to it. She's great. Right. Hey, it's hashtag Love Indies Week. So how about a quick fire round of recommending your latest indie faves? Heart emoji. I will uh, get another shout out to Dicey Dungeons because mm. I've been playing that again and it's been updated significantly since I last did. Um, that's Terry Kavanagh's uh, very simple dungeon crawler uh, where the combat is based around rolling dice and uh, the as he builds it, he's adding more classes and uh, he's added the witch and the robot lately and those both work in really... Um, different ways so like uh normally like the fighter has i don't know like a, a broadsword and that just means when you roll some dice uh you put the dice in the broadsword and it does whatever the number on the dice is damage so it does six damage if it's a six mm. and that's it and it's just gone um and a thief has a thing that can only do up to three damage but you can reuse it as many times as you like in the same turn and then the witch that is added um has a totally bizarre thing where uh, she has a spell book and there could be up to six spells in the book, each one assigned to a number. And to start with, you can't do anything, but you roll a dice and then if it's like a four, when you plug it into a slot, it turns into whatever spell you have in slot four. And that still hasn't cast the spell, you've just set it up to be cast. So each fight, she's kind of designing her own like custom spell book for that fight and then using it. And it's a cool idea, and there's those are interesting mechanics there, because you also get to choose what goes into those slots in your spellbook. So, like, uh, Magic Missile is my favorite spell, because it just does a shitload of damage. Um, and once you've got it set up, any even dice, you can just put it in, and it'll do five damage, and that's really good. Um, but for that reason, I don't like to have it on an even slot, because if I've rolled, like, a bunch of even numbers, I want to use them for the, the magic missile and use the odd one to like actually create the magic missile spell and then feed it with all the even ones so it's all kinds of interesting strategy like that but it makes it really luck dependent <laughs> and the robot has a weird thing where they they're not actually limited on how many dice they can roll they just have a total where if the total they've rolled so far gets over that it, all their programs crash and they can't use them that like turn oh, wow. <laughs> yeah so um uh you can keep rolling them and if you get loads of ones you can just keep on rolling them um but 
you know, you get to a point where it's it's like it would be risky to roll it now, it could crash it. Or if you get exactly the amount, it's a jackpot. <laughs> you know, like robots have jackpots. <laughs> so it is blackjack. Um, and you then get like a list of three special abilities you can do, like <coughs> do some damage and heal yourself. And, mm. yeah. All right. Yeah, it's a nice game with Dicey Dungeons. And you can play, you can play it on your phone, don't you? Because um, it's just HTML5. Yeah. And it actually uh, runs remarkably well on just to, in your phone browser. I haven't tried that since it went commercial. Cause you know oh, has it gone it. commercial now? Mm. Oh, wow, yeah. okay. That's you can still buy all the old versions for free, but right. um, the latest ones, uh, I think it's like seven quid. Cool. Um, and it's run through Itch.io um, and it's still in your browser. Excellent. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Ghost of the Tale, which I've been playing lately, mm. um, which looks like it's made by a massive team but actually it's made by three people gosh but one person did almost yeah, one of those did the it? main bulk of it who used to work at um uh he worked on the Lorax and oh he was the animation director of um Despic- uh, Despicable Me yeah Despicable Me anyway mm. so like he's a sort of Hollywood guy French animation guy uh, and so he decided to make a game about a mouse and it is utterly gorgeous and it's Dark Souls but you're a mouse and it's a lot more ex- exploration-y where you're going around the same environments kind of getting all the stuff and doing little quests and things mm. and it's um lovely yeah it's really cool I'm still playing Slade Spire which is still pretty great uh, and I've gone back into Dead Cells again which mm. is oh, yeah, due yeah. out in a few weeks. Yeah. yeah, definitely going to go back to it when it's when it's really mm. out. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's, that's a game that every time I go back to it, and you think, "Oh my god, this is good, isn't it?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then you get annoyed by the progression systems, yeah. and then you let it go, and then you pick it back yeah. up, and it's like, "Oh, this is, <laughs> this is so good." Say <laughs> uh, so this was on sale recently uh, this last past weekend when you listened to this, and I didn't buy it because I still haven't played it. Because I, I've got stuff to do. I know, like, from hearing yeah. all of you describe it over Life the course of many months now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting to the end of not it. Yet, not tether, yet. Not yet. I think. Uh, but then they'll just probably release new characters at you some back point. In. And then that'll be you won't stop playing that spy. Which is the beauty of that game. Um, I want to give a shout out, partly because obviously I've talked about Objects in Space, which is uh, a very much an indie game, but uh, I didn't mention it's by Flat Earth Games. So, you know, there you go. That's a thumbs up sent across the internet. Uh, I also wanted to mention uh, Landfall and Totally Accurate Back- Battlegrounds again. Oh, have you been playing that? Uh, yeah, I was playing it the other night, actually. Because hmm. um, it remains wonderful. And they've supported it quite a lot um, since I talked about it when it came out. Because pointedly, when they put it out, this is the um, Battle Royale game by the people who made Cluster Truck and Totally Accurate. Um, Battle Simulator, which is what this is supposed to be just an April Fool's joke of. Mm. And they have to support it because it's extremely popular. (laughs) Uh, Which is, as as friends in sales departments like to tell us, a good problem to have. Um, But, like, I feel a bit for them because they... I don't think they they really wanted this to happen because they said at the time like we're not supporting this we're just putting it, was it out there because it's free for quite like a, a few yeah. days like for a week or something and, and then, then it would and then it, they said charging. it would cost like a nominal amount of money just to pay to keep the servers on but we're not going to support it enjoy it if you want this is a very physics-y very very silly Battle Royale game and they have supported it and they have added stuff and so it is so as an great. adjunct to this like my son who's 13 is like he loves Totally Accurate Spike Simulator and he's desperate for it to actually properly come out because right. uh, it's basically just sort of 
there is a demo of it and it's been vaguely added to i think the last update to it was months and months ago now and he's he is checking the site every day and has done for the past well it feels like a lifetime it's probably about, <laughs> about two years and he, he he was he was appalled by the appearance of the, the battle royale because he knew that it might well sap their attention and <laughs> sounds like it has he was right <laughs> um, but they have added among many other things um regular bicycles just regular bicycles uh which is the sort of stealth mode of transportation um and one player can sit in the basket on the front with whatever weapon they want so you can have a little cannon (laughs) sit in the front of your bicycle and it makes a lovely little sort of jingly sound as it it glides around the landscape it's so good it's so stupid the most exciting thing that's happened to me in the game recently was the other night where i started and everyone shot themselves out of the big convoy of trucks at the start of the game at uh, the place known as Think's Crappy Castle. There's a couple of different castles and they're just named by the developers based on how much effort I think they put into each given one of them. Like, they've made such a wonderful show of how dumb the whole thing is. Like, th- it does have like a map uh, with like, the, you know, labeled places. And they've added a few new places since, but they obviously couldn't be bothered to find the font they'd used for labeling the places the first time they made the jpeg of the map so all of the other place names are just drawn on like you know when you get like the paint tool and you just try and do the letters yourself and it it always comes out looking the same way right like kind of like idiot comic sans the rest of them are just scrawled on the map like that like their desperate attempt to convince everyone they don't want to make this inexplicably extremely popular game explicably but undesirable to the developers apparently um but yeah i did manage to kill five people in a row uh, with a musket, which is the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> so there. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, yeah, our next question comes from Zoe, who writes, if there was a video game of your life, what would your favorite piece of merchandise be? <laughs> Mine, I have quite an easy dance to this because I have... Um... A video game of your life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have merchandise um, for... Uh, gunpoint um john uh had a conway 3d printed for me which is beautiful and it's on my mantelpiece and there's only one of it and um that would be the one i pick mm. it's nice it's colored as well isn't it mm-hmm. good conway <laughs> it's a good conway <laughs> it's not really an answer to this question but i can't think of anything more my terrifying life is incredibly than- bland and i have nothing <laughs> to show for it yeah I can't think of anything more terrifying than being hunted down by a Funko Pop of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> would it be just like Every time the you turn normal around, size of a Funko yeah, Pop? Exactly, like, yeah. It's not the thing is, life size. Funko Pop would, would basically remove most of the defining characteristics of my well, yeah, form. yeah, that's the whole yeah. shtick, isn't it? <laughs> I have a theory Squat. that everyone in this room, if we were rendered it into a Funko Pop would look identical. Yeah. <laughs> Funko this is, this is yeah, the, this is the, the fucking same. issue. It's yeah. like, as a, as a, yeah, it's like, um, well, I, I've shaved my beard off in the last week, which means that now, yeah, Tom, you, maybe we could have differentiated ones. Previously, they would be. Exactly. Subtly different. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's almost, <laughs> it's like, well, it's because like the only thing that really differentiates me from a sea of other generic white games men is the fact that I'm quite small. And as soon as you turn me into a Funko Pop, <laughs> you've removed that one identifying characteristic. Yeah, it's just the same. Well, I mean, previously it was just me and Chris Remo in the same, exactly the same category. <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
Um, <clears throat> merch, though. I don't know. Identical fun- Funko Pops of ourselves is is pretty good merch solution, I think. As, like, we should do Crank Crowbar versions. Absurdly detailed kind of figurine of us hunched over like, a <laughs> computer. I feel like maybe just a bottle of Jim Beam would be yeah, a, exactly, a yeah. souvenir merch for my life. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, I think... I think Marsh could produce something really grotesque. Yeah. <laughs> mm. I just forgot the Crank Grobo t-shirts. Yeah, we do, they, actually. Yeah, God, they haven't been there. Speaking of legacies of year one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, they're, they're wonderful t-shirts, but like, yeah. there, was a good, there was a good idea there in making t-shirts out of good episode titles. Mm. And it's just that we haven't done it in half a decade. <laughs> um. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I, I met someone wearing one of those t-shirts last year, though. Wow. We should make more. Yeah. Is Marsh still collecting the checks for those? I think so, yeah. Good on him. I don't know who makes you. <laughs> good. good. Good on him. Godspeed, wherever you are. <laughs> Marsh Davies. Um, our next question comes from Josh. I, I, I sounded weird when I said Josh. that because I thought I might be Josh. mispronouncing. I thought I might be misreading John, but I wasn't. <laughs> so I corrected Josh into John and then back again in the space of a single O. Josh. Um, Josh. Josh. Right. Hello, Creighton Crowbar. Your conversation on a previous week about games with the feeling of coming home reminded me of vague spoilers. The end of Bioshock Infinite. As a lover of philosophy and American history, I love some of the twists in that game's plot takes its finale, along with the world building mechanics, but I recognize that I am by far in the minority. What games do you stand by in spite of concern or questioning looks others might direct your way thanks to your weekly offering of hot takes josh and that email is entitled gaming hills to die on oh i feel i feel like uh <laughs> you've laid your heart died, there already my, yeah my i've already died on the you, hill yeah. at the very beginning of this episode where out of you know, I, unexpected even to me i decided <laughs> to defend david cage games and talk about them for a long time uh so uh, i'm a pc gaming podcast podcast, no exactly. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so i'm already dead in this conversation but like i don't know if this isn't necessarily unexpected because i don't think you necessarily i don't feel like that's dying on a hill mm. because i Dying expect- in a ditch. I know, no, no. <laughs> no. I'm living on way. a shitty hill. I, I, I'll put it this way. I, I'm alive on a shitty hill. No. And I hate it. <laughs> I trust you to find something to like in really average games. I, I'm that quite is, optimistic, actually, about that, games. Yes, yeah, you true. tend to like things. And that's a quas- that's a positive thing. You see the good in things. Mm. Like, oh, yeah, speaking of Tribes Vengeance. Yeah, exactly. Someone mentioned really Tribes Vengeance. I got to it, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Transvengeance is a yeah. good game. It's 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 Ken Levine behaving himself and just <laughs> making a science fiction game about spacemen. Yep. Yeah. No, but I was going to like you will like. I don't think you died on that hill. I think you've stood in that field and said, "This is fine." <laughs> but I could go to another hill. I could go to another six out of ten hill at any it's time. Right. You shout from the yeah, side of the hill. It's fine. You could it's tribe... problematic, but okay. <laughs> you could tribe ski down the hill instead of dying on it, and then just ski up. I was going to mention tribes because I, yeah, I, I, I can't stop dying on that hill. Um, I'm not very good at tribes. Hey, Tom, so <laughs> Um. I feel this way about Dragon Age a bit, but I feel like my position isn't very um, robust. And it's not very robust uh, because I have bad opinions and also because I still haven't played the rest of the Witcher games. Um, but, like, there's something about... 
I'm going to annoy people by being sort of irritated in a sort of vague way with no real grounding here. But hey, it's, you know, been a long podcast, whatever. Um, we're five years old today. It's fine. Aww, um, it's my birthday and I'll have bad takes about one today. <laughs> um, the, the issue, so I really love Dragon Age, the entire series, because I think in addition to just being really, really solid fantasy RPGs with a good story and a lot of heart, they also provided, um, a huge and, and supported uh, a huge amount of sort of, uh, sort of fandom in a positive way. I think that's a term that is attracted and can and legitimately attract some, some bad connotations, but genuinely like quite a big kind of positive. By the way, I don't really do this. I think quite a big positive, diverse, creative fanfic, fan art kind of community around their stuff because of how pluralistic and diverse their games fundamentally are. And for all their strengths as games, things ended up getting subsequently lauded a lot more, not just The Witcher, but The Witcher sticks in my mind as the kind of pinnacle of that. Uh, pull things in a different direction that uh, annoy me. So I feel like I'll always die on the Bioware hills simply by virtue of not just the games themselves, but what they kind of allowed other people to express. Um, whereas things with arguably maybe like greater specific craft don't charm me as much when that craft comes at the cost of that kind of generosity of mm. creative energy. It's mm. interesting. Like they're not as good as games probably, but I suspect they will ultimately mean more to people who weren't otherwise being reached out to by things basically. And that's, that's a hill I'll legitimately die. And Dragon Age 2 is a good game. Damn it. <laughs> it's a good game. Mirror's Edge. Hmm. Mm. I agree with every criticism of Mirror's Edge, but I still love it. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Mm. Uh, oh God, I just, Mass Effect 3's ending was fine. Um, <laughs> I understand why tribes died, so I can't really even die on that hill. Now that I think about it. Hmm. Yeah, if Mass Effect 3 is generally, uh, scowled upon, then I'll die on that hill as well. <laughs> yeah. I love that game. Yeah. yeah. The next question comes from, Austin, who writes, Hello, creative pod stars. During my recent rolling of a new Pillars of Eternity character, I considered the best approach to writing specificity into my character's background, while avoiding the gradual mutilation of such details as I inevitably counter constraints on my opinions for expressing them. I concluded that this wasn't possible. Instead, I met the game literally on its own terms and defied my character according to the dispositions listed in the game's manual. With this approach, my second playthrough has been far more enjoyable. Instead of trying to cover half the canvas with my own ideas, I realized my job was simply to pick the colors with which Obsidian would paint. On my question, what is your approach to creating characters in RPGs? Do you also overthink and overwrite them in an attempt to assuage your guilt of procrastinating your actual writing? Best, Austin. He says, and he adds, apologies for the length, but you should have seen the first draft. <laughs> And that's fine. It's a three-paragraph email. Perfect length. Um, I feel like uh, I am... Eminently being qualified. Called being called out. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so, like, I don't know. Am I the only person here who seriously does this with RPG characters? Like, yeah. Writes the backstory. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, can't, um, I can't bother any of that shit. I, I kind of I, I dallied with it a bit. So there's there are kind of... Uh, I used to enjoy RPGs like Baldur's Gate used to let you do this, where you yeah. write your own journal entries mm. and uh, craft your own kind of... You could do it in character if you wanted, but mine became increasingly stupid and full of jokes that no one would ever see, and then I stopped because <laughs> I realised that I kind of wanted an audience. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I wasn't 
entertaining myself enough really <laughs> um yeah i mean i i used to i mean I, this comes through years of online role playing and mmos and then i had uh for years a document uh where i just add bios for every rpg character there's one there's one doc in my google docs to this day which has a fallout character several skyrim characters mass effect several mass effect characters several dragon age characters uh, a couple of paragraphs for each of of backstory and those evolved over time from like literal sort of life story stuff when I was first doing it to what I thought was a more sophisticated approach, which was like an evocative paragraph, like a fantasy micro story or whatever that would simply give the mood of the character, which is a better approach because a mood is easier to apply to a game than like a literal history, uh, which I get is probably where Austin's coming from. And eventually I just stopped doing it entirely and started going with the game because I do think, I think he, I think he gets there towards the end of the question, but like, this is interesting writing exercise, but that's kind of all it is. Like, it is not a substitute for like, uh, quote unquote, real. Uh, when I say real writing, I don't mean not fan fiction, because I think fan fiction absolutely can be. If you're producing something for someone else to read, fine. If you're writing a bio purely for your own benefit, however, there's a cost benefit analysis to be done about whether that time is best spent. It's good practice and it can be fun and that's worth it. But like often the games will fight you and there might be a better place for that energy, which might well be in, in fan fiction or it might be just writing your own fiction, whatever that format takes. But yeah, like eventually I just sort of stopped now having also started a pillars of eternity campaign recently um, with that. I just did what I do now, which is like, like, poke at what I find most interesting in the game's backstory and not make any decisions about who that character is until you start playing. So, like, I mm. find the God-woken interesting in Pillars of Eternity who are people who just happen to be born looking like the moon or death or f they're on fire or something. And they're neither kind of, like, ultra-holy nor fully trusted. There's some somewhere in the middle that are sort of weird. Uh, I like this kind of uh, merchant sort of mercantile uh, Italian city-state feel of old failure, which is a particular nation that I think gets explored more in the sequel, which I've still haven't played. Um, so I sort of came with the idea of someone who, you know, a sort of lesser scion of a noble house born into a trading family, but leaves because they look like the moon. There you go. That's everything you need for that character to then sort of wander off into the world and, and do whatever. You this don't is need like a problem where, where you need to have played it like you need a knowledge of the world. You need to know the kind of you know. It depends on the game. Pillars is good because it gives you lots of mouse overable things, does, doesn't it? Yeah. The, the Elder Scrolls is interesting for this because they always start you as a prisoner, but they never say what you did. Yeah. While you're arrested, yeah, you and you get time. to make up for yourself. Yeah. So I still don't think I have really. I can't remember. Maybe way back in the Morrowind days, I had an idea of like what my character did, but I I often have an idea for who my character is like personality wise and play style wise, but I almost never have a backstory for them. Like I don't care what happened to them just before this, mm. but I know how they're going to handle decisions and morality and things. Yeah. I think that's far more important. That's kind of what I mean by turn to talk about tone. Mm. It's like, you know what tone of the story is going to be. Like tone is hard to always fully contradict unless you want to play like someone who never speaks or, you know, whatever. But, um, but history definitely can be. Hmm. Okay. Next question comes from Jams, who writes, Hello, 
you failed to hold the door open for the wrong little old lady and you've been cursed to only communicate using barks from a video game. She's not totally evil, however, and has at least let you choose the game. What game do you pick? Zug Zug. Jams. I guess they picked Warcraft. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about Dishonored, because then at least I could still say, should we gather for whiskey and cigars? Yeah. Well, you don't like cigars. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'd still get the people in the room with some whiskey, and then from there, <laughs> it's fine. Mm, and you can say, did you hear what happened last night? <laughs> and that's about it. Yeah. Oh, uh, also, I think I'll make captain for yeah. what happened last night. <laughs> I'd like to break up a, a forum on the uh, forum post on the Company of Heroes forums, which is uh, titled, So, what are the Brits talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and this is in relation particularly to the, uh, obviously, the British expansion, the Company of Heroes. Very fine expansion. Um, uh, a folk who say, uh, a bloke, someone who says that they've had a very boring day off. So inspired by an American friend, they want to explain a lot of the barks that came out of the British troops. And a lot of them are basically just someone going, this isn't like Sandhurst, not when the enemy wins. Basically like, what, what is, what is Sandhurst? Uh, well, here goes Bovington's finest, but lots of basically stupid, well, oddly made <laughs> Here goes Watting Bovington's finest. finest. Bovington's finest. Uh, what is the explanation for that one? Yeah. Oh, um. <laughs> I just love the idea of like, what are the English talking about? Is a kind of, I didn't consider What's that a Bovington? Yeah, is that a type of tank? <laughs> <laughs> just whiffles in English. Is, the, is it the <laughs> capital of England? <laughs> Uh, Bovington, <laughs> this person explains, uh, was the site of Britain's and probably the world's first tank crew training facility. Oh, so that's where Tank Museum is now. Yeah, it is. I was on strip in there, there at five in the morning. <laughs> Went there for a World of Tanks event. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I think we all did English yeah. journalism. <laughs> I met James May. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and interviewed Dan Snow from Channel 4 oh, at Jesus. seven in the morning during a champagne opening for a World War Tank exhibition. Jesus. Oh, I was there to write a book about planes. You poor bastard. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, a lot of these are related to place names. Uh, look, this ain't bloody Salisbury Plain. And people are like, <laughs> apparently, it's such just, a useful phrase in real life. It needs explanation. Uh, Salisbury Plain, explain, is the site of the defence training estate, the largest military training ground in all the country. Yeah, it's like it's it's great. So sometimes, like yeah. so you drive along there, really straight roads, yeah. you go really fast. You go along very very fast along a road, and it has all these kind of tank, tank signs, crossings, yeah. tank crossing Amazing signs. Amazingly, so good. I'm from Salisbury. That's so. your land. Yeah, it is my land. Yeah. Uh, these get good. <laughs> so um, the next one is like all ship shape in Bristol fashion. Yep. Yeah, which is you know, for no, a, no, why is anyone asking uh, about exactly? that? Exactly, it just means it's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the boat's good in it. The, the boat's fine. The boat's fine. It's and Bristol it's like fashion. a city. Yeah, it's a bit like Bristol. <laughs> Scruffy. Uh, <laughs> But lovely. Yeah. Uh, this, this, yeah. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> so I love that this next one needs explanation. And the line is, that's for my nan and her house. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. That's, that's for, mine. That's, that's for my nan and her house. That's, uh, so this person's nan got blown up in the blitz. <laughs> is that the implication? And he's, he's but, mad about his nan, but he's also doubly mad about the house. Come yeah. on. It's a really nice place you're going to inherit. But I, I love that this is like... There's always money in the Nana stand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I just love that this needs to be explained. And the explanation... Um, <laughs> I can see like, where it's going. Uh, nan, in quote marks, 
means grandmother. <laughs> this statement is referring to the strategic bombing of the UK by the Luftwaffe. <laughs> Primarily this man's man. series missiles during the Second World War. <laughs> oh, it's, it's too good. The, the barks are good. They're, they're mostly good. I just enjoy that they've... they've uh, for Exhaustively. example, time to earn the king's shilling is apparently confused <laughs> enough people for someone to write a forum post about why. That's not a thing that people probably would have said very often anyway. Really. <laughs> no, I can imagine other people not knowing what a shilling is outside of the UK. Uh, swearing expressions, royal engineers run like buggery. <laughs> That needs explaining. Now, buggery means... Buggery is <laughs> like old... A, and then, oh, hang on. <laughs> God, no. <laughs> buggery is an old legal term meaning sodomy. It's commonly... Blah, 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 blah. So they went that far, but, like, it doesn't... There's no meaning It just there, means though. a lot. Yeah. It's, it's like just, most... It's most just putting any, a swear word in. Any given but, swear word can be used to mean lots. In fairness, yeah. if it just said buggery means a lot, it could have led the American into some awkward situations in the future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, how many chips do you want? I want a buggery of these chips. <laughs> <laughs> That makes sense, though. I would completely understood what you meant. I like you give a funny look. If, someone, you think, if someone's like, fine. if someone says, "How many chips you?" You know, how many, I don't know what scenarios someone asks how many chips you want, but like, how many chips you want? Like buggery, you'd be that, that makes could complete mean. sense. That makes complete sense. But no, it could mean it could mean I don't want any chips. Like like, like buggery, buggery, I want, I want chips. chips. No, it depends how you say it. It's only intonation at that point. Like buggery. <laughs> Lots of <laughs> like buggery in a, no in a noisy pub. Looks <laughs> like pretty gonna... similar. I'm worried. Yeah, <laughs> the, the buggery but chip like, system cannot can, stand. You can replace you can replace buggery with any other swear word. Yeah, in that scenario, and it makes complete sense. Oh, these are very good. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember some of them being said in this game. I have to be said, but apparently, someone in this game might have said enemy rocket. That's not cricket. <laughs> <laughs> That's really bad. That is that is terrible writing. A, ser- <laughs> a stereotypical British English expression, literally translated as "that's against the rules of cricket." <laughs> Very true. Cricket, yeah. they go on to say, is a popular sport that likes to associate itself with gentlemanly conduct. Fair play. And a V two is well out. <laughs> <laughs> Oi, break it up, you wankers! <laughs> Good. I'm endlessly amused by the fact that, like, I think. Uh, uh, has a whole generation of like American video game writers who've underestimated <laughs> what level of swear word wanker is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like it's just a, it's just a funny thing it's, British say. It, yeah, hey, really. you wanker! All right, wanker! <laughs> and that's that's fair, but you have to kind of be British for yeah. that to work. Nan yeah. wouldn't say that. <laughs> it's, it's also uh, after a house gets blown up. <laughs> that totally plays into uh, this quote. Apparently. Uh, under fire from half track, silly sod. Uh, <laughs> Who's the silly sod? <laughs> it's the half track, the silly you sod. You silly bastard. Pick whether you're a car or a tank, you wanker. <laughs> Only half a track. Uh, and um, the explanation is uh, sod is short for sodomite. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. In a I modern context. It's not really, though. It's, just it's like, like the word bugger. It's not really. Yeah. It's, like, it's like the lowest form of swearing. Because call someone a sod is just like not yeah. literally. Sod's law. Or as we also know, yeah. it's sodomite's law. <laughs> Uh, I just I I enjoyed that. For it appears that most of the British swear words involve bottoms, and that's probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this whole uh, joke section where they explain the jokes, and uh, it's not. It's okay. Okay. So I've done enough. Miraculously, my <sighs> pick for box, I would have to speak through also involves Company Heroes, but in a very different way. So recently, um, for something I'm writing, I, I've been playing uh, the wonderful 
uh, Sonic and All-Stars Racing Transformed. <laughs> and I would definitely pick that game. Yeah. Because um, I don't want to go too deep on it because it's so good. But one of the reasons it's so good is whoever at Sega decided to just open up that cross-pollination Sega floodgate as wide to wholly embrace the fact that Sega is a brand make no sense. To have Sonic... And the guy from Shenmue and the people from the monkeys from Super Monkey Ball. I think, you know. The people. Yeah. The people from Super <laughs> yeah, Monkey the, the Ball. The detailed characters from Super <laughs> Monkey Ball. Um, and the rest of the Sonic characters alongside a Roman centurion from Total War. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one. And the man yeah. from, the manager from Football Manager. <laughs> the football manager. <laughs> the football manager and General Winter, a Russian, a Soviet tank commander from Company of Heroes 2 yeah. is the best, the best fucking thing. And the Soviet tank commander, like they, the, all of the completely out of place ones and also the actual human racing driver, Danica Patrick. Um, <laughs> Who's <laughs> in this game as well as herself? Licensing. Um, it's so good, but the the tank is the best because he's like all of the um the because <laughs> you could get maybe some mileage in life out of speaking through Sonic Sparks and things, but the real mileage is in the others like uh Willamus, the roman centurion in a roman centurion themed car who basically just screams i have shamed rome <laughs> <laughs> when he gets overlapped by tails <laughs> outstanding it's so good Absolutely outstanding. Um, but like um um <laughs> and the russian commissar in who's like who's like T seventy tank ramps off the star destroyer uh, star destroyer um, aircraft carrier from afterburner transforms into a Soviet sub in midair and then splashes into the ocean to cries of the people of the Soviet Union will not forget this <laughs> <laughs> but the best and you, the the best of them is is the football manager yeah um, well, do they have him say he, anything? Yeah, he says loads. <laughs> Like oh, get, that if, was a no, bad move. Oh, like, he shot himself if, in the foot there. He, yeah. he, does, he, he does. It is like, get in. And then like, <laughs> well, it's a beautiful game. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. And all of them have this mode where you can get a power-up that puts you into all-star mode. Mm. And so if you're Sonic, that's like... It mostly just makes the car bigger and glow. If you're one of the monkey ball characters, you roll around in the monkey ball, etc. It makes you... It's sort of supersonic mode, except it's not actual supersonic, it's a different character. Um, but when you are football manager and you go into like, because also if you are not football manager, everyone else gets an announcement hmm. to, that says like, football manager has gone all star. And you can just hear fucking football whistles going, this is glowing magic football manager speeds through the pack going, get in. Wow. Balls. It's brilliant. And then when you're in the lead, if you're sufficiently in the lead, the crowd starts chanting your name. And obviously when they started developing the game, they get this going like, Sonic, Sonic, Sonic. But the best is the crowd going, football manager. <laughs> football manager. As you fly the football manager car deftly around the snapping jaws of the Panzer de Grun saga dragon. <laughs> <laughs> it might be the best video game ever made. It's a good video game. I like it a lot. <laughs> and I don't know what my life would be if I could only communicate through those barks. <laughs> Apart from the rich. fact that it'd be better. It'd be rich. It'd be better. And <laughs> <very> <laughs> the football uh, 
the World Cup has concluded as we record this. Yeah. And I, I'd like to, just to get this into the show notes, share a, a Richard Morris clip, which is simply a piss take of football commentary and football in general. Uh, you know, I love football, uh, in which a man scores a goal and Chris Morris playing a commentator goes, Twat! <laughs> That's liquid football! That's Alan Partridge, isn't it? Is that Alan Partridge? It is Alan Partridge. Oh, he did, he did that kind of thing. It might have been on uh, Brass Eye or something yeah. when he was uh, like a sub-character on that. But I, I, just to get that clip in there, yeah. the show notes. I am. Um, <clears throat> I love that. I love that quote so much that I've been shouting twat, that's liquid Dota <laughs> for the better part uh, of the yeah, last yeah. five years. It's always applicable. Uh, it's never, it's never not good. It might be Chris Morris. I always thought that was Alan Partridge. I remember, uh, or Steve Coogan at least. But. Um, I remember Alan Partridge bit uh, when he's on uh, the day to day. Is that the right mm. name? Um, where uh, he's doing like the normal kind of commentator blabber as the guy comes up to score, and then when he scores, it just holy shit! He's <laughs> 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 a foot like a traction engine. <laughs> yeah. That probably is like a, I think it's Steve Coogan. Yeah, I think it's Steve Coogan on the day to day. I think I must have seen it retweeted by um, Chris Morris bits. Who just yeah, basically yeah. retweets like clips of all Chris Morris programs. Yeah. 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 Twat. That's, ah, that's so good. Yeah. 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 Actually, that's the thing. Like the football manager in like in Sonic and All-Stars Racing Transformed, <laughs> the greatest sentence thing in language, has adds this like thickly partridgean layer to right. the game. Yeah. And it's not just because of that. Partridgean layer. <laughs> like. Delicious. Partridgean sludge, if you will. I mean that very seriously. That I think. I feel unctuous. Like, horrible thing. I feel like it's under. I mean, actually, well, I suppose, I suppose this is kind of exactly what Hold the Kickmen was going for. Yeah. The same thing. It's basically the same joke. But you've got, you've got to make that joke with the love of football to, for it to really. Yeah, you, you do. Yeah, like, exactly. it's, it, it's just, it's just the fact that fo- the football manager is just a completely <laughs> anonymous man, white man yeah. in a suit with a helmet on and shades. So you can't tell who it is. Driving a car whose hubcaps are footballs, and that's it. It's just a car. Like that's what makes it. It's like if they'd over-themed it, yeah, or tried sure. to create a mascot for football, yeah. it wouldn't have worked. It's the fact that he's surrounded by all these cartoon, colourful characters, and it's just a human man. It's quite an expensive car because footballers make a lot of money. That's the only kind of like maybe <laughs> bit of satire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it also plays with the fact that um, football manager, you know, all their covers are of a man in the suit whose head yeah. is cut off, like yeah. it's above the, you know, the cut <laughs> off of the, of the box art. Yeah, so... But it'd be kind of great if they just stopped there, just there is no head. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's always off shot, yeah. <laughs> I honestly think it should have just been like Miles Jacobson or somebody like that. <laughs> yeah. You can uh, always just see Miles Jacobson's chin and nothing else above that. Just always <laughs> obscured. Good games. Uh, good games. Oh, uh, that five years is, of podcast. Yeah, that is all of the five years of podcast we've got time for. <laughs> if you'd like to send us a question for a future five years of podcast, you can do so by emailing us at questions at creightoncrowbar.com. You can tweet us at creightoncrowbar. You can find us on YouTube at forward slash creightoncrowbar. You can find our Patreon, uh, which allows us to do the podcast and all of its spinoffs patreon.com forward slash crate and crowbar you can also find us individually on some form of social media i'm on twitter at c thurston that's c-t-h-u-r-s-t-e-n tom francis i am at pentadact <laughs> p-e-n-t-a-d-a-c-t i am at rotational on twitter r-o-t-a-t-i-o-n-a-l <laughs> hey <laughs> played for and got 
Tom um, Senior. Uh, Tom Senior. Um, PCT Ludo. 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 <laughs> Ludo. I used to call myself Ludo from Ludo. Ludo. <laughs> Good. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <everybody>. <laughs> for five years. Yeah, five years. <laughs>